0: You know that you could say it's it could be just a coincidence, uh, but but if you if you watch the video and it's up on my uh, my DTube channel, which you can find it, my SteamIt.com account. If you go to SteamIt.com slash at Adam Kokesh, excuse me. And if I may, as an aside, I think it's beautiful that we have blockchain-based social media already functional in such a vibrant way. A lot of it's in its uh, you know early phases, but. Steemit.com now with DTube and D-Sound and everything else is, is really amazing. And um, if you want to find out, you can find all my social media stuff from my main website, which is dfreedomline.com. And uh, so you, we have all the video. It's all out there. And uh, the, the question then becomes, if this wasn't just a coincidence, you know, where did Trooper Garcia's orders come from? Was it... Uh, you know, was it motivated by his own personal vendetta? I don't like a guy who stands up for freedom because I hate freedom because you know I'm a drug warrior cop, uh, or was it you know someone in his department saying, "Hey, we can't let this guy get away with this." you know and, and and so you know on the on the far end of the the conspiracy spectrum, you know i and I've heard this. I don't think this is very likely, but uh Donald Trump doesn't want the competition in twenty twenty so he's gonna have his political opponents. Falsely arrested and and slandered through th- this legal process, or rather this illegal process, and I, I think that's really unlikely. But the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle.
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. There there certainly is a uh, a, a right wing movement. It, it might not have been Donald Trump, but it just might have been somebody with some real hardcore right wing anti drug sort of views.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, well, and and you know. When when now now, just my platform is, is again the peaceful, orderly, responsible dissolution of the United States federal government because we don 't have to be united under one government to be united in American values, and in fact, the concentration of power under the federal government today is is completely anti freedom and un american, so what i 'm proposing is an idea that has great mass appeal. And, and from what we found so far is that it's kind of like the message of freedom itself. You know, you don't wake up to this idea of self-ownership and, and ethics and, and apply to politics and then go back to sleep. It's like you cannot unsee what you have seen. And I think, similarly, all we have to do to win is get this message in front of the American people in you know, a straightforward, credible way and say, look, we've got a plan. We've got an executive order. I'm not running for president so much as for not president. What i'm going to be doing with this is I go in on the first day. The only thing I would do as president and I, We have to figure out the exact legal mechanics of this still, but basically i'm going to be I might be President for five seconds. I, I might not be President at all. I might say, you know I might not swear in as president and simply say, with the authority vested in me through the American electoral process. I am signing this executive order to dissolve the federal government. And with this, I resign to become custodian of the federal government. I'm going in like a bankruptcy agent. So, you know, in, in most federal agencies, 90-plus percent of the personnel are going, to, are going to lose their jobs on the first day. Now, we are going to arrange for some kind of severance package. They are going to have two months' notice from, you know, the election to taking office here. But this is a huge threat. Uh, there are a lot of corrupt forces who have an interest in the continuation of this corrupt enterprise known as uh, the Corporation of the United States Federal Government. And I feel that what I'm doing is not, uh, you know, going in to, to take over or to use the system to fix the system. No, what I'm doing is turning the American presidential election into a referendum on whether or not the federal government should be allowed to exist at all. And some people will say, well, Adam, that's illegal, you can't do that, that's unconstitutional. Yes, that's kind of the point. We are invoking the higher authority known as the Declaration of Independence, which says that we as a people have not only a a right but a duty to alter and abolish systems of government that no longer serve us. And this is, uh, like I said, it's an idea that has mass appeal because we don't have to uh, you know, we don't have to argue philosophy. We don't have to talk about the role of government. If we can all agree that government should be as local as possible, as close to the community, as close to the individual as possible. And, and even as a libertarian, I know this might sound, sound hard for a lot of libertarians to accept, but most human beings are never going to care about what we care about. They're never going to engage in, you know, the kind of philosophical study that led most of us to be libertarians. They're not going to read a bunch of books, but they're, you know, human beings are creatures of pragmatism. So if we want to achieve a libertarian society, a voluntary society, one where individual rights are respected, in a sense, we have to put aside our ideology but apply our principles to create policy that immediately improves everyone's lives. And that's what this is. So we don't have to convince people of any particular vision. We don't have to argue about the role of government. To say, look, we're just going to get rid of this most disgusting, destructive, wasteful layer of fat at the top. And that's 3 million, only 3 million personnel out of 22 million who work for government at the state, local, and federal levels altogether. So most functions of government will still continue, but we're going to get rid of the worst corruption and, you know, this idea of of trying to force everybody into a one-size-fits-all solution where you end up with people in San Francisco writing laws for people in San Antonio, which really in and of itself should be offensive to anyone with common sense.
1: And, Adam, you're being very clear on this. You're not interested in money, and, and you certainly aren't interested in, in power of any kind. You don't want to be a leader. You don't want to lord over everybody. You don't want to give orders or dictate really anything. You just want to kind of be a catalyst uh, to achieving uh, an, an absolute form of freedom, right?
0: Absolutely, and, and thank you for, for pointing that out. You know, I've been a full-time activist in in one capacity or another for 11 years now, and you know I've I've uh, you know I made a lot of money in independent media production, but I always find myself as a broke activist over and over again because I put everything I have back into the cause. You know I know that uh, you know especially when uh, we're talking about Federal Reserve notes, it's almost a liability to have money in the world today. You know I'd rather have the ability to serve my principles and serve what I believe in, and so that, that's how I've always approached my activism. And yeah, it's you know now I'm at a point where I'm I'm very well organized. I'm much more productive. I'm doing very well on Steemit, and and you know I have a you know very solid income there. But even then, all of that is going into this campaign right now.
1: And you're doing what uh, many, well, I wouldn't say many, but some leaders in the past have done, where when you find yourself actually being locked up, you're using the time very efficiently to uh, uh, to read and to actually write. Do I have that correct?
0: Well, I did write a book the last time I was in jail uh, a few years ago when I was there for four months. I started writing a book, I should say, to be truly humble about it. Uh, it, I was there for four months, and and I came up with the idea and started uh, writing sections of freedom, which is my manifesto of of how we create a, a more peaceful, productive, and harmonious society by dissolving government altogether, localizing it eventually down to the individual or down to uh, voluntary community-based organizations. And while I was in jail this last time, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I, I only did 10 days, and I did spend a lot of time on the phone. I had pretty good access to the phone, so I was able to communicate with my team. I have a great team behind me now uh, in the campaign and, and my staff in general, so I knew that you know, I wasn't going to be forgotten or disappeared or anything like that while I was locked up um but I, I didn't have access to pen and paper for the first 8 days or so i was in jail so i had like scraps of paper and i had a little jail pen and i was i was making notes um but yeah i was able to use my time effectively and it, it, this is it's it's really funny this this last 10 day stint for me was it, 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 on one hand the the hardest time that i've ever done uh, in some awkward painful elements of this the food was terrible i've been in a lot of jails this one had by far the worst food. Like it was, it was painful to eat every meal that came on, like on tray rest. I was actually like <laughs> they had for once they had a you know ham and cheese sandwiches. That was very typical, but I was like I would look forward to that meal even though for me it's a very light meal to get two little ham and cheese sandwiches. I'm I'm you know I'm not a small dude. I'm about 200 pounds, and when I got the tray meals though for breakfast and dinner, I I couldn't finish. Like it it hurt. To eat. It was, it was, it was that bad. And I was just like, it was, it was just unbearable. But, you know, if I didn't, so I I would eat half the meal, I'd have to stop and catch my breath and then finish eating. But then, um, and, and, you know, I I won't tell you about the digestive problems, but I'll just say that it was a good thing. I, I had, um, a toilet to myself in my cell. And, while I was there, but the way it was the easiest time, one, on, the, on one hand was, was the uh, access to the phone, which was nice. Uh, but the, the other one was I had a TV in my cell. I guess that's why they call it television programming, right? They, they're happy to program inmates and, and, you know, use it to keep people docile. Uh, but I really felt just like Donald Trump. Uh instead of you know, Twitter I was writing notes and pen and paper, but I'm laying in bed eating terrible food, watching cable news. So on that in that sense it was it was very easy time. I spent uh a good chunk of it watching C SPAN and and Fox and CNN.
1: Yeah, that's that's really uh interesting that they actually had the T V in the cell. Do they do that for everybody now?
0: Uh, well not not everybody across the United States, uh, but in, in this particular jail. Now I in in this case I refused to comply with the medical screening. Excuse me, because uh, they, they were trying to give me a TB test. And this is just, by the way, sidebar on this, a, a sad little part of the government racket in general, is that, you know, you, and, and from the, the, the very casual math that I did, it's a, it, it's less than 1 in 20,000 chances. I mean, the last time I heard of, uh, of someone um, uh you know, with tuberculosis, it, it, it was from, um, it, it, it was Doc Holliday, right? In uh, Wyatt Earp or you know, like, you know, Tombstone. like when was the last time you heard of Americans? Yeah. Uh, or what, what was, I'm sorry, I'm screwing it up, but you know,
1: uh, no, you got it. You got it. Doc Holliday. It? Okay. Yeah. Doc Holliday in, in that. Well, one of the movies about him was Tombstone, but he was well known for having the TV. Tombstone.
0: Right, that's it, Tombstone. That's what I screwed up. But, yeah, Tombstone, maybe it's in Wyatt Earp too. But, yeah, um, so, in, in, you know, the odds of any American coming into any particular jail at any given point having tuberculosis are less than 1 in 20,000. It's insanely low. And yet they have to give, by law, something, you know, every single person who comes into the jail a tuberculosis test. And I just said, look, it's against my religion to let the government put needles in my body. I'm not going to do that. And when they asked me medical questions, I said, am I legally required to answer that? And if not, I, I declined to state. So, although I, even if I was legally required, I probably would have engaged in some civil disobedience there anyhow. And, uh, so I was in, I was, I was in medical isolation with, uh, with, with, and I had to wear a, a dust mask anytime I left my cell or, or used the phone through the slot in the door, which is, it's just silly. But someone's making a lot of money off those tuberculosis tests.
1: And just to, Adam, just to backtrack a little bit, uh, how long was this police officer, Officer Garcia, how long was he following you before he decided to actually pull you over? Uh, that I can't say. I, I don't know. But I
0: was pulled over approximately. And I've, I, I haven't checked the timestamp. Someone told me it was 40 minutes apart, uh, the two instances are I was pulled over. And if you watch the video, you know, I'm, whenever I talk to police officers, um, in, unless they unless they need to be put in their place for some reason, uh, and by the way, I always have fun with this. You know the uh, the flags that they do with the thin blue line, where they take the American flag and one of the stripes they replace with uh, with a blue line. That's a violation of U.S. flag code. Now it doesn't really apply on a T-shirt or on a you know computer graphic or anything like that. But they do actually have these flags that they have made, which are a bastardization of the official U.S. flag. So anytime I see that, I like to point out to an officer like, hey, hey. <clears throat> Uh, that's a violation of U.S. flag code right there. You're not allowed to deface the U.S. flag or create derivative versions that are not officially authorized by the United States federal government. But it's okay. If you take that down right now, I'm going to let you off with a warning. Just remember, ignorance of the law is no excuse.
3: And I've (laughs) I've actually
0: pulled this online uh, with a number of officers who have it as their, uh, you know, profile on Twitter or background pic on Facebook or whatever, and they've taken them down, which is kind of a fun way. But, you know, generally speaking, when I'm talking to police officers, I'm I'm very polite, you know, I'm very direct, but I'm also very friendly and and I'm, I'm, you know, I tell them about what I'm doing, you know, with my campaign and with the message of freedom. And in this case, you know, uh, the first time I got pulled over, I got a warning um, for, uh, I forget what it was now, because the the officer said I was swerving and I had a a, a temporary tag and that was enough reason to pull me over. So he pulled me over, gave me a warning and, you know, I, I gave him a copy of my book, Freedom, and by the way, you can get it for free in every digital format possible, including audiobook at thefreedomline.com. Three words, thefreedomline.com. And uh, it's also translated into half a dozen other languages there. And so I gave him a copy of the book and, 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 you know, if I was trying to be you know, less conspiracy-minded. I, you know, I would say, well, you know, maybe he saw the book, and you know, he didn't like freedom because, again, they're they're freedom-hating drug warriors in in Texas, mostly uh, from from and not just my experience, but from everything I, I've heard and and read about the police state there. So, you know, maybe they said, hey, he's coming down your way, May, you know, pull him over and 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 see if you can if you can bust him or what you can do to mess with him. But, you know, I'm always I'm always friendly. And I tell the police officers generally, look, hey, you know, a lot of you guys joined with with honorable intentions. Like you wanted to serve and protect. You wanted to help your communities. But unfortunately, because we have government in between us, you don't get to serve the people directly. You end up serving politicians and then you end up instead of being, you know, a public servant or someone who's you know helping out with the public safety or protecting people. You end up being a law enforcer and you're an enforcer. Of unjust laws, you're an enforcer of, of 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 evil on on behalf of corrupt politicians, and I want what, what I'm advocating. You know, it's not for you to lose your job. Although, of course, if we got rid of the drug war, there'd be you know tons less need for public safety services in general, obviously. But you know, like I I, I don't want you to lose your job. I want you to be able to serve people directly, which is still true because you know th- those people who you know, who at least have that genuine good intention will find other ways of meeting real human needs uh, when, when we get government down to the community level and, and eventually dissolve it entirely.
1: It, it does make you wonder about some of those experiments that they did, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, where they took the college kids and they, and they let, like, half of them be in control of the other yeah, ones. Yeah, for prison experiment. Oh, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It kind of shows you how, how people can kind of become bullies in the right situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, yeah, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that, because it, it, you know, I I don't think there's such a thing as, you know, a really bad person. You know, my undergraduate degree was in psychology, which is why I'm very familiar with that. And I think the other one that goes hand in hand with it is the Milgram obedience studies, where, you know, they asked people to shock, uh, other test subjects, so they weren't really shocking them, but to see how obedient people would be, you know, to an authority just in a white lab coat. And it is really like this is something that every human being needs to be aware of because it is, it is a, a real weakness in human nature, if you will, that, that we are so susceptible to, uh, to, to exercising unjust power, uh, to being violent over others, and to, to being fooled and manipulated by, you know, someone wearing a shiny badge or in a, in a white lab coat or in a suit and tie because, you know, they're, they're a politician. And the more that we're aware of this, you know the more we can we can resist those impulses.
1: And it's also interesting, um, you know, not to get too racial, but I, I know that at some point the black communities, they decided to have the Black Panthers do the policing instead of having the white cops mm-hmm. police them. And it, that's really interesting, too. And I think that's um, a little bit more in line with with how you, you believe things should be handled.
0: Oh, I think it I think, you know, you're absolutely right to bring race into this in this context because the drug war is fundamentally racist. Uh this this government is fundamentally racist. And it, it has been since its inception. You know, the, the a lot of the origins of the police force in this country uh came, came about protecting property like slaves. And since then there have been systematic efforts to keep black people oppressed in America. And I'm really glad that you mentioned even you know the modern example of the Black Panthers, which were primarily, you know, more than a than, than a political organization. They were really a, a community organization. And I've, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of every activist, and it, and I think an activist is, is someone who's motivated by a deep seated sense of injustice. So, you know, anybody who like even yourself as an independent media producer, I think you're an activist, right? I mean you have you have motivations. For doing what you're doing, that are not, you know, I want to be heard, and I, you know, and I want, I want to make money. So there must be something, you know, truly just that that motivates you there. And I think everybody who's an activist of any kind needs to understand what COINTELPRO was, and COINTELPRO is a, a portmanteau uh, uh, to create an acronym, and it was for the three words counterintelligence program, and this was an FBI program in the 60s and 70s to mess with activists. And when you see these assassinations by cop of a lot of the Black Panthers, it was set up by the FBI. And if you look at this history, you see that, that there were a lot of other uh, subversive things that the FBI did during those times. And, and back then it was primarily focused on the, uh, the anti-war movement and the Black Panther movement. And there's some great quotes uh, that, that have come out in the years since. And I, I apologize for not getting this one exactly correct. But uh, it was it was someone working for Nixon who said that the, the reason they created the war on drugs was so that they would have a greater excuse to mess with anti-war activists and to mess with the black community. So they demonized marijuana and heroin. And those are the ones that they were they were, of course, you know, feeding into these communities. And this is, you know, uh, you look at the modern versions you know, that, that we're aware of, like with the CIA bringing crack and cocaine into L.A., and and especially the poor, vulnerable communities there in the 80s. So the reason that COINTELPRO was exposed, they did a lot of what they called bad jacketing, which is just slander campaigns against effective activists to make them less effective. So you have to wonder, you know, sorry, sorry, the only reason they got exposed is because a very, very brave group of activists broke into an FBI office and they stole these documents.
3: Although I'd hardly
0: call it stealing when it's really just holding people accountable for much much worse disgusting evil crimes and they got the documents about the counterintelligence program and you know you have to wonder how much more was there that they didn't find the documentation for of course but they were able to get these documents to major newspapers and and they made you know mimeograph copies you know using that ancient technology and and hold them accountable So the the FBI was, you know, exposed, and they said, oh, 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 our bad. We're going to stop doing that. The counterintelligence program COINTELPRO is no more. We'll stop messing with activists. And you go, okay, yeah, right. So my point is is that if, if you study this history and you're an activist today, you know that they didn't just stop messing with activists. It's just taken different forms and probably much more subtle forms. And so I think today what you have is, you know, especially with the control of the information flow on the Internet, you have misinformation campaigns, you have false arrests like mine, although i got to say it's a relatively minor one when you compare it to the cases of, say, Schaefer Cox, uh, you know, the Alaskan activist who was set up for creating uh, community-based safety organizations that challenge the government monopolies. Uh, Ross Ulbricht, who created, a, you know, the Silk Road, allegedly. Uh, to, uh, you know, make the drug war much safer, make, make access to, to drugs. And it's funny, they're trying to slander him now with this, oh, it's a murder mystery because he tried to get someone killed, and, and that's uh, total nonsense. The real murder mystery here is since so many children who need CBD oil in order to not die from their, their seizure problems, uh, you know, we're getting their, their medicine through the Silk Road, why is the federal government willing to murder children Although murder here, you might say, is metaphorical. Why are they willing to use violence against someone like Ross Ulbricht, who's a peaceful man trying to get people safer access to medicine, and 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 deal and, and let children die because they don't have access to that? That's the real Silk Road murder mystery. And then even like my friend. Uh, and by the way, I am in correspondence now with with both uh, Ross Ulbricht and Schaefer Cox, which is which is um, you know really. Uh, re- really, an honor to be able to write letters to them in jail, and I encourage people to do that as well. Uh, but my personal friend, uh, Thomas Costanzo, known as, known as uh, Morpheus Titania, who is in jail still in federal prison, and, and I got to say, he doesn't have to. Well, no, he does have to be in jail right now; that he's been denied bail. Um, but uh, he could have he could have pled out. But no, he's standing his ground and challenging the charges that he's facing for running an unlicensed money transmitting business. Because he was uh, buying and selling Bitcoin in uh, all over the Valley in Phoenix, and and he's doing time for that right now. Oh, no, that's not
3: illegal. You know, there's is so
0: it? many. Is that you know, illegal? They they yeah. I mean, it, look, the average American commits three felonies a day. There's a book by that name written by a, I think it's a Columbia law professor. If you want to look it up, it's called Three Felonies a Day. Because the government has made so many things illegal, and most of these are financial things. You know that, that if you if you sell or buy anything without reporting it, that's illegal according to IRS tax code. Technically, anytime you barter something that's twenty dollars in value or more, you're supposed to report that on your taxes. Of course, it's totally unenforceable and ridiculous. But it's just them saying, "Well, we can arrest anybody at any time, anytime we feel like it, because we don't like you because you're challenging our racket." Hmm. And that's, uh, you know, part of the the, the sickness of the police state that we live in.
1: And they also one person that they definitely went over. And I feel that this is covered up quite a bit was none other than Martin Luther King, who is like the most famous uh, African-American activist of all time. Yes, of course, of course. And that's super disturbing to me, because we have a friggin' Martin Luther King Day, and most people do not know that the FBI tried to blackmail friggin' Martin Luther King. Our government did something extremely racist and extremely oppressive, and it wasn't even that long ago.
3: Well,
0: I'd I'd like to think that at this point in history, now that my campaign has so much momentum, and, and I know this is a low bar to say that we cleared here, but thanks to Trooper Garcia, thanks to Sheriff Aiken in Weiss County and the ordeal that I went through in in this false arrest, we had the most successful launch of a libertarian presidential campaign in history. Now, again, low bar to clear, but we were able to get the, the basic message out to approximately 10 million Americans through the media coverage of this. And it should have been a lot more. Of course, we had a mainstream television blackout of this, but, um, we got the message, you know, Adam Kokesh, libertarian, presidential candidate, dissolve the entire federal government. And I think the cat's out of the bag. I think the people in charge know that their time is limited, that in the age of the internet government is so laughably obsolete that they're really just trying to get their last licks in and, 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 you know, get, get what they can suck what money they can out of the system. But I think they fundamentally know that this era uh of statism, uh, of central violent control, is coming to an end for humanity. We are evolving past it, and it is really a beautiful thing to, to to be a part of, to watch, and to experience. And so with this campaign, we have drawn a big, fat line in the sand. And like I said, it's not something that you can unlearn once you have learned. Once you see that this is a possibility, that America would be so much better off, so much more free so much more safe, so much more prosperous, so much more American, if we were to dissolve the federal government in, in a manner that I'm proposing, then, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it has a sense of, it, for me at least, the, the way that I see this now, and, and I hope for people who are paying attention, there's kind of a sense of inevitability about this. And I, I, I think they know their days are numbered.
1: Adam, are you still on social media or, or have you been having some problems with getting censored and stuff like that?
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. You know, it's, it's funny that you ask because uh, I've dealt with censorship on social media, you know, my entire time as an activist, uh, from, you know, even criticizing Obama. Uh, you know, I had, and this is, this is a silly, petty example, but I had a photograph of one of his drone strike victims, a young girl who was at a wedding. And ended up being burned over most of her body. And the photograph, uh, it, she's she's naked in the sense that she's not wearing any clothes, but she's uh, she's mostly covered in bandages. And I put the Obama logo. Remember when he was running for re-election? It was forward. So I crossed out the D, and it says for war. And <laughs> the, you know, oh oh, Facebook had to pull that because it's nudity. And it's like, you, no, 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 no. You are na- Facebook. You are now complicit in covering up Obama's war crimes. And so that, I mean, and I got suspended for that for for a month. That's a relatively minor thing. But I've also spoken to Facebook, uh, at least one Facebook employee, who confirmed to me that my posts are getting flagged unnaturally. And this is one of the things about Facebook, is that it is an open censorship platform. Kind of like anybody can censor anybody through flagging, especially if if you're organized like government, if you have way too much time on your hands like 1.3 million government personnel who have security clearances, then, of course, you can you can control the conversation. Uh, I think Twitter is a little bit more of a fair, open platform, but obviously, you know, we've seen even recently uh, with them, you know, banning Milo Yiannopoulos for saying feminism is cancer. Uh, now, now, there's some other things that he's done I don't agree with, but the, the way that he was just cut off the platform, you know, is, is an absurd kind of censorship and you know, I, I really don't trust any of these, of course, Instagram. So the, the big three, you know, sort of old school social media platforms that I'm on are, are Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram. And they're still, you know, hugely empowering, game-changing platforms. I guess you could call it YouTube social media, but YouTube's been worse because YouTube is supposed to pay you, right, as a content creator. And they say even now for mainstream content creators, it's about $3 per 1,000 views that they should be making, Well, I was making that back in 2013 before uh, the shotgun arrest where I I was doing about 2 million views a month on YouTube and I was making $6,000 from that. That was my primary source of income. And I was hiring people mostly. Of course, I'm not taking money for myself. Almost all that money went back into the business. And I had to lay people off because they suddenly cut my revenue by two-thirds without explanation. So it went from $6,000 to $2,000. And what I found out later that it was part of their plan to allow advertisers to not be associated with controversial content. And, of course, then YouTube gets to decide uh, what is controversial content. Um, and, you know, I, and, and I've seen, like, I have, you know, I, this is why I really, I, I don't care about YouTube anymore. You know, it, it's it was bought by Google a few years ago, and since then it's been all downhill, you know. It, and it's still, it's still, like, YouTube still represents a major leap forward for humanity that anybody on earth with an internet connection could post a video and, and have it be available all over the world. I mean, that was amazing. That was revolutionary. And yet somehow Google buys it and they managed to screw it up. So that's why I'm really excited now about Steemit.com and, and how there's, you know, and an, a more, a, a truly blockchain based and, and much more uh, open source social networking. You know, I think there's going to be an even greater leap to come as, as we have truly open source, uh, social networking that people can click over from Facebook and, and Twitter and it just sort of, you know, copies your whole account and works better but without any of the censorship. So I think all that's coming, but yeah, I, I face definitely, um, more than my share, I, I suppose you could say, uh, of social media censorship. But even, even with that, you have to, you have to look at this in historical perspective and go, their ability to, to stop the flow uh, of information that challenges power is going away because they can't say, well, these social media networks are, are bad for us. So we're just going to get rid of them entirely. I mean, that, even China, right. And, and China, I think it represents, uh, with the great firewall, the, the greatest example today of government being able to control the flow of information on the internet. So instead of allowing Facebook and Twitter, you know, they have, I think it's called Weibo. They have their, uh, you know, government censored, Version of social media in China, uh, but even there, it's sort of like cash out of the bag guys can't put it back in now. And and this is this is the future where where people have access to information, and when people have access to information, they can learn how to make government obsolete. They can learn that government is a racket fundamentally. They can learn that most of what government is telling them, or at least the important stuff, is lies intended to you know you know make you uh, make you submit.
1: Yeah, Adam. One thing that's always been important for me in this show is I've always wanted to stay independent and you know not make any deals with the devil, not allow anybody to uh, control the show or, or tell me what I can put on here. I, I think there's a tremendous power in staying independent and and being being able to do things on your own.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And and even though I
0: faced all the censorship. You know, I had to see I, my I start in independent media. Just so people know my history. Uh, you know, I, I've I've been a lifetime member of the Libertarian. But I got to go back because I, I have to use the R word here. Um, but you know, I've been uh, you know, I became a lifetime member of the Libertarian Party uh, in 2004 when I got back from Iraq with the Marines, and it was the first time I could afford it. And uh, then I, I was uh, you know, longtime anti-war activist and Ron Paul supporter. And Ron Paul asked me to run for Congress as a Republican uh, and said he would endorse me if I ran as a Republican. So I did. I ran for Congress in New Mexico in 2010 and I couldn't shut up when the race was over. So I got a radio show on AM 1550 KIVA, more positive talk radio Albuquerque. And I got canceled after about six months because I wasn't selling my own ads. I was supposed to sell my own ads instead of, um, you know, just letting the, letting the station do it. and, then uh, I got picked up as a television show, uh, Adam vs. the Man did, for RT America, Russia Today. And, of course, that's still, uh, you know, a, a centrally controlled media outlet. And it's uh, the Russian government poking the American government in the eye, which I was you know, more than happy to be a part of. So that's, that's fine. But, of course, I got canceled after four months there for obvious political reasons. I was being uh, openly critical of, of Putin. You know, and and I made a, a very careful effort to say, like, and, and I made a deal with them before I took the show that that I would have absolute editorial control, and and except for a couple minor formatting things with the Chirons. they they were like I, when when I interviewed Ron Paul, I wanted it to say "future president of the United States" underneath, and they wouldn't let me do that. But other than that, they did they did truly I got and I got to hand it to them there they did honor the, the general term of, of respecting my editorial independence, and so I made a point of being. Uh, you know, as critical of Putin as, as I would have been uh, if I was on any other platform, or, or maybe even just a little bit more so to make it clear that just because I was being funded by the Russian government in this context, that I wasn't going to let them off the hook. And I think after four months, they were they realized there's somebody up higher up realized. Wait, wait a second, this guy's not just against the American government; he's against the idea of government. Well, we can't be promoting that message, so I got canceled after four months, and that's when I started going independent with a podcast and focusing on my YouTube channel. I was able to to build that up to 70 million views before, you know, kind of getting away from, you know, focusing on YouTube. So, yeah, it's, you know, I've I've always had that independence, but at the same time, uh, you know, we, we live in a world at least for now, I mean even with Steam and I love Steam and I'm you know a huge fan. I think that that's the next leap forward for for human communications and social media. Um uh, but you know, even Steam it has is not fully, fully uh decentralized and open source. I think we'll get to that point. I think I think in like maybe ten, twenty years it might take. Uh, it might be sooner. It might be a few years. I mean, we have the ideas. We have the capability. You know, we've seen with Bitcoin, which I'm a huge fan of, and, and cryptocurrencies in general with blockchain technology, that we can achieve so many things in a decentralized manner.
3: And, and right now,
0: it's really just a matter of creating that market demand for people to realize, I mean, through productions like yours, that these platforms are corrupt. And, uh, you know, I, I, while I've maintained that editorial independence, we have to we have to do what's available, you know, work with what's available to us. So you compare this to, like, 100 years ago where if you, were, <clears throat> you were subversive or, or even just 50 years ago. You, you just, like, you just go 50 years ago to the anti-war movement. You know, they didn't have the Internet. You know, they had to protest. They had to work to get on, on television and in newspapers to, to really get people's attention, and a lot of them got arrested without any notice whatsoever. And, and they had to pass out flyers and pamphlets you know they had to go they had to go like while, while the government controls newspapers uh, you know and radio and television as those forms of mass communication uh, they had they had a much tighter stranglehold back then so at least the establishment as a whole did mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so if you wanted to challenge the establishment you know you had to go out and talk to people one at a time you had to go and like mimeograph you know we didn't have photocopiers back then you know you had to print stuff you had to write stuff by hand a lot of times so you, you go back even further You know, you look at, and that's why we say Martin Luther King Jr. But the original Martin Luther, you know, with with the Protestant Reformation, it was because he had one piece of paper on the door of a church. And back then, that was what was required to, to get the word out. And now... It's certainly much easier. I think this represents an amount of progress for humanity.
1: Yes, certainly. That's a excellent point you bring up because if you go back and look at what was going on during like World War II, you can see how tightly public perception was controlled. Oh, these people are the enemy, the Nazis or the Japs, the this and that, and and. It, And people really just totally drank the Kool-Aid, and they they managed to get everybody – and, of course, the Germans were doing it too, but they managed to get everybody just worked up into this war frenzy, and it was all about production. Yep. And I, I think that that this is all very interesting. Uh, but Adam, I, I did want to kind of ask you about something that I find to be incredibly interesting and also um, slightly hilarious. There's a video on YouTube; it's still up there, where you're confronting this guy that he looks like he's the size of Brock Lesnar, and he's getting right up in your <laughs> he's getting right up in your face. And you just totally outsmart this guy. You you totally just, you, you run circles around Jedi, him. Jedi mind trick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was incredible. How did you pull that off?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because the title of that video is Would-be bully gets kokeshed and uh, nonviolent communication in action. Now, uh, we use the term kokeshed as like, you know, told off or put in their place. But really, I think of it as being confronted with with irrefutable truths that, that challenge what you're doing. on our, And in this case, this guy had, had heard from someone else that I had said something bad about the military in my speech. It was in the basement of the spar. So he comes down to confront me and says, Do you have something bad to say about the military? We need to step outside. He's trying to, he's trying to fight me. And, yeah, this guy was a monster. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm not a small dude. I'm, I'm about, you know, I'm 5'10", 200 pounds, you know, pretty sturdy build. So, but this guy made me look tiny. Like he, he really made me look, look small. And if you just go, you can search the video. It's, it's been reposted so many different places. And I'm, I'm really excited that it has been now years later because uh, my, my hits usually surprise me, but I, I'm really glad that you brought it up because it's important to understand nonviolent communication. And now this is a metaphor. I always have to explain to libertarians. Yes. It's, it's communication, of course it's nonviolent, but when we talk about a, a process for communicating with people in a, in a deeper way to connect with them, to in, you know, increase the amount uh, of exchange uh, of, of information, of value, of commerce, you know, this is in the best interest of capitalism, right? And, and, of course, capitalism is an economic system based on ownership of the means of production. And if you define that properly, the only uh, or the, the greatest means of production is the individual human mind. And if you don't own yourself, we don't have capitalism. It's not factories and widgets and dollars. No, it's about self-ownership and creating human happiness and harmony. That's what capitalism is really all about when you define those terms properly. So uh, nonviolent communication is a process where where it's sort of four steps. And the first one is observations. And and sometimes this can be skipped, right, when there's no dispute in observations. But, like, say you want to raise an issue. And, by the way, I, I highly recommend that everybody study NVC, it will change your life entirely. All of your challenging relationships will, will, will be fundamentally altered. And, and I'm, not, I'm not an expert in this, um, you know, and, and it's the kind of thing like, uh, you know, just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you're in perfect health. You know, just because I'm an advocate of, of NVC and I'm, I'm a practitioner when I can doesn't mean that I'm perfect in it. I'm still susceptible to my own emotional failures in that sense. But the first step is, is, is observations. So if you wanted to raise a challenging issue with someone, you might say, Hey, I've observed that this happened. And, and, you, and the first step is you want, you want to make sure that your, your observations are kind of on the same page, right? And now the next step is to get into to feelings, right? Now this can go either way, right? So like if the, in this case, the bully's challenging me. So I know that he's the one who's got some negative feelings, right? So this is a process you could say as, uh, you know, how do we, how do we address negative feelings in general? And in that sense, this is, this is a very important, very direct way of getting at that. And when you're talking to someone in a challenging situation, you can almost never go wrong by turning attention to their feelings. This is, this is about empathy, you know, and connecting with another person. So when it's a guy in a bar who's trying to beat me up, I'm saying, oh, you feel, you sound angry. Are you angry? And he goes, yeah, damn right, I'm angry. And it's like, okay, okay, now i have established <laughs> that, you know, so. Then then I can say, well, well, why are you angry? You know what? And, and so the next step, you no, know, you can. So sorry. Before I go to the next step, if it's something else, like say you're in a, in a romantic relationship where something is challenging you and you're having uncomfortable feelings, you know, you might go to your your partner, your spouse, and say, hey, um, I've noticed this pattern in our communication. Am I am I uh, are we on board here? Is it, this is my observation. Is my observation correct? And they might say. You know, they might disagree and say, no, your observation is incorrect. You're just totally misunderstanding me. I, 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 I have a different understanding of that word, or I'm, I'm just talking this way because I'm really I'm really hangry right now. I just need to eat. Can we just eat? And then it all goes away. You know. So sometimes just stopping and making sure that your observations are on the same page can resolve the entire issue. But, like, let's say you, you, you raise an issue with your spouse and they say, yeah, I, I have noticed this pattern of communications. You're correct. And, and then you can say, well, look, This is how it makes me feel. Oh, you have to be careful about this. And there's, there are a lot of other understandings to, to, to to, to execute this process properly. And one of the most important ones is to know that you and no one else is responsible or you are responsible for your feelings. You can't say something made you feel that way. You can say, when that happened, I felt that way, but that's, that's taking responsibility for your feelings. That's really important. So you're not projecting that on someone else. So you could say to your partner, Look, these are my observations. We're on board. Okay, same thing. We see the same thing happening. Okay, so when, when, just so you know, now my feelings when this happens are this, that, and the other negativity. You know, when you say these things like this, I feel, uh, I feel hurt. You know, and it's very important to say, like, you us say, disrespected, because disrespected isn't a feeling. Disrespected is an action. That's an accusation to the other person. So it's really important that you use precise language in this. But even if you don't have all the precise language, you can still apply this basic methodology because then you get to needs, right? Why do you have this negative feeling? It's because in that situation, one of your needs isn't being met. So you might say that, you know, my needs, like, you know, in this case, why is he angry? You know, when I'm, you know, this guy at the bar wants to fight me. Like, you know, what, what, so why are you angry? You know, what, what need of yours is, is not being met. And maybe it's a need to feel respected. Maybe it's a need to feel honored and appreciated for his service. And so in that sense, what I was able to do in this video was, was deconstruct that and say, well, look, you know, we were, do you believe in freedom? Do you believe in the Constitution that you swore an oath to? Because everything we did, you know, overseas was unconstitutional. It was illegal. So, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't we be able to address that? And so I, I was able to bring that up. And so then the final step in the process is, oh, so, so the, the, just to finish the idea of needs. You know, we have we have lots of needs, and if you look up nonviolent communication, there's sort of cheat cards that they have for this, for uh, you know, what are my, you know, for different feelings, because you know, in, in the in the language that we use, we are so conditioned to use what uh, the, the originator of this, and I got to give him credit, of course, every time, Marshall Rosenberg, what he described as violent language, you know, when, when we we. Corral other people when we accuse other people when we back them into corners, as, as opposed to connecting with them, you know, at the heart level with empathy. So, anyway, it, the needs, you know, you, there's a need for for safety, a need for security, a need to feel respected, a need for personal expression, a need for food, water, clothing, a uh, sexual expression. You know, all of these things are, are, are fundamental, legitimate human needs. So. In that sense, when you can get down to what, hey, you know what, I feel some negativity because these needs of mine aren't being met, then you can get to the final step, and that's requests. You say, well, you know, to your partner, like, hey, I would request that you stop talking to me this way because it makes me feel bad and it's it's preventing me from getting my need met. And one of the cool things about this is that sometimes – when, when you, if you, like, if you walk into uh to a store and say, I need this, get me this. Okay. They might, you know, they might get you what you need right away and get you out the door sooner. But if you go in there and say, Hey, what I need is, you know, because I have, you know, instead of saying, instead of just going straight to a request, you feel like, you know, like, let's just say you're, your, I know this is kind of a silly example, but let's say you're in a cold city. You showed up you know on a flight. You didn't bring any cold weather clothes and you, you walk into the store uh, you know, like, you're, in, and it's, it's a total crazy blizzard. And all you're thinking is, you know, I need a hat and gloves. I need a hat and gloves. You walk in there and say, I need a hat and gloves. Where's your hat and gloves? Give me a hat and gloves. And, then, and you, you buy it and you walk out of there and you're okay. But if you say, hey, guys, uh, I'm feeling really cold. My need for physical warmth isn't being met because I, I just screwed up. I was not adequately prepared for this trip. And, you know, I need, I need some warm weather clothing They might say, oh, well, we have a parka, you know, we have, with a hood built in, with who knows what other features, and you're going to be much better taken care of when other people understand your needs rather than your requests directly, and they might help you modify your requests to better meet your needs. And so you see right away how this is such a powerful methodology of communication. And in the case of this bully, I was able to talk him down and, and turn a guy. You know, I could have argued with him. I could have debated with him. You know, I could have I could have accepted his challenge and gone outside and, and gotten beaten to the sidewalk. Yeah, and and I, and I don't, know, from, from what I can know, tell, from what I just, I could tell <laughs> just
1: observing you and your body language and all of that, it looked to me like you were perfectly ready to go outside with this guy. It's just that you were trying to uh, settle it down before it got to that point. But it seemed to me like you were perfectly willing to fight him. <laughs>
2: Well, I
0: think it's important when you embrace this methodology to, to also communicate from a place of authenticity. And and in order to do that, you you do have to conquer your fear to some degree. And in this case, I had people filming all around me. You know, I had a bunch of people there. This guy was a drunk idiot. You know, like, I'm not, I'm I'm really not worried if if he, if he really were to like try to, to jump on me and attack me there You know, I had, like, my, this was after a speaking event. I had just given a speech, so, like, all my my fans were there. You know, I would have been able to jump on this guy. It it might have gotten ugly, but, you know, I I really wasn't that afraid. I don't think I was, uh, you know, primed, like, ready for a fight, but I was standing up straight. I was direct. I was able to, you know, at the end of this conversation, shake hands with him, and he says, all right, I have no problem with you. And I think that's really emblematic of a lot of human conflict: is that people just don't understand each other. They don't take the time to empathize. They don't take the time to understand other people's feelings and needs, and, and realize that you know we have this universality of the human experience. We all have, you know, more or less. Uh, yeah, you can argue with this all you want, but functionally, we 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 basically have the same kind of brains that that live in a a, a human body that needs. You know, we all have the same basic needs: food, water, shelter, clothing, fulfillment, love, affection, expression. This is this is universal to human nature, and this is one of the greatest takeaways that I got from getting an undergraduate degree in psychology, which is that there is this this universality of the human experience, and and we are very much uh, you know products of of the conditioning that that we are subject to. Of course, the individual human will is capable of of overcoming any of that conditioning with enough, you know, deliberate willpower. But even that, where did that willpower come from? That's, that's your biology. That's your inheritance as a human being. And and the more we realize that, that we really are, uh, you know, one human family, the, the easier it is to resolve all of those conflicts. And so, you know, when I come to someone like that, you know, I try to keep that in mind. Again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching here because I am not like some, you know, living version of Jesus. Uh, you know, mythological creature who can overcome all the the worst parts of human nature. I'm just someone who is seeing this particular, uh, you know, methodology, this approach, this insight that that I want to share with the world so that we can all live better, freer lives.
1: And I think that this situation is really important because i I wouldn't say that I target the youth but i I have this awareness that really the youth are the future and sometimes I watch the, watch the news or I watch YouTube and I see these these people like this group the anarchists and some of these young communist groups and stuff like that and they're going out there and they're breaking bottles and they're uh, they're throwing bricks and they're hurting each other they're they're hurting people and, and they don't un, they don't seem to understand that the the peaceful type of protesting is actually far more effective they just don't seem to get it
0: yeah and and i'd love to to have some opportunities and and maybe maybe as i travel the country now i'll I'll find more where i'm able to to talk to some of those people and say look i mean can you imagine going up to to someone in a black mask at a a, a, you know violent protest as the meeting how are you feeling right now (laughs) i'm angry okay well why are you angry and, 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 you know, listen to them. Give them that empathy. Give them that platform. Give them that space to get in touch with what their unmet needs really are. And their requests are never going to come out to, please let me break a bunch of windows because it's good for my anger. No, like it's, I want to, uh, you know, a lot of them are, you know, at, at core motivated, well, essentially by the same things as we all are. And I should say that right now I'm in, uh, I'm in Acapulco, Mexico, in advance of the Acapulco Conference. And one of the things I'm really excited about doing here is uh, is a, a workshop I'm doing a, a half day workshop on nonviolent communication, uh, of course, especially oriented to anarchists and by anarchists I mean you know libertarians. Um, so it, it's really important I think for those of us who are expressing uh, a message that challenges state power that's based on emotional manipulation that that we that our, our method of communication is true to to the message that we're communicating. Of course, yeah, we got to grab people's attention sometimes, but ultimately. Uh, we're going to be more effective when we're coming from this place of love and, and authenticity and being able to meet other people's needs. And I, and I hope that in my presidential campaign, you know when I'm saying? Look, let's, let's de- dissolve the, the federal government in a peaceful, orderly manner. Let's make, you know, life better for everyone immediately. That, that I'm able to, to stay grounded in that. Of course, it's a whole different challenge in the political context. But uh, I, I think as you, as you're well aware, uh, based on your understanding of, of my motivation and what I'm doing with this, that this is this is all, uh, you know, the same reason I started protesting the war when I got out of the Marines in, in 2006. You know, this is, this is all connected with you know why I became a libertarian in the first place. You know, why why I consider myself an activist. I see that this is is the best thing that I can do to to serve humanity, to provide value for other people. You know, I, I want to. You know, people say that this is selfless. Nope, not at all. I'm. I want to bend the world to my will. You know, I want to, I want to see everybody embrace these ideas that are valuable and important to me. And that's what would bring me far more satisfaction than money or fame or, or I guess you could call it influence. So you can, I guess I'll, I'll take that as a motivator. Yeah. I want, I want to be influential in that sense. And I want to share these ideas that, that I see are so powerful that challenge the existing rackets of violence and exploitation through government and and really liberate humanity so we can evolve past this this era of institutionalized violence, of statism, of, you know, centralized governments and and power through violence.
1: And one thing that I just got to ask is, as you – I'm sure you're aware there's people that come on my show that that are are harassed by unknown parties Uh, we call it gang stalking and this is a little bit more in the conspiracy realm but I gotta ask uh, do you feel that perhaps Adam you are being specifically targeted because somebody out there knows that you're a smart guy somebody out there knows the influence that you're having you're getting all these views that you're you're talking circles around uh, people in a bar Uh, somebody's gonna notice that and they're gonna see you as a threat Do, do you believe this could be starting to happen to you that this might be evolving into almost a form of gang stalking?
0: Well, before I answer that directly, I want to correct something a little bit. Uh, I wasn't talking circles around this guy. I mean, maybe when we got into the start, uh, you know, talking about the issues of war and foreign policy. But no, what I was doing with this guy that was the powerful part was not talking circles around him or being a better debater. It was being more empathetic and being more able to directly connect from from that place of love and authenticity. And that's what diffused the anger and, and the desire for a fight and a confrontation. But in, in my case, you know, I, I've seen a lot of these cases of gang stalking, and, I, and I've heard a lot about it. And it's, it's an interesting term to use to describe what is – what is. A, it's not really accurate. I, I don't like the term gang stalking because that suggests – I mean, yes, police are gangs. You know, the government is a gang. It's, it's the biggest gang in the world. Uh, the most destructive and the most violent and the most territorial and the most exploitive. But um, and, and most people don't think of gangs that way. They don't think of stalking as this kind of harassment. And I've seen people experience different elements of this, but uh, I, I, what, what, I think a, a better way of describing it would be sort of, you know, individually targeted systematic government harassment. And, and I, obviously that's not as catchy as gang stalking. So maybe, maybe that's not the term, but I think we need a term to describe government harassment of activists, uh, you know, a little more precisely than gang stalking. So in, in terms of answering your question directly about my case, I, 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 it's hard to say. Uh, you know, this latest arrest is, is certainly really fishy. Um, I, but I, I think, you know, when I went to jail and, and, and I wrote a letter, an open letter to the sheriff of Wise County, I said, you mess with the wrong Marine. <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm still, you know, you can you take the Marine out of the corps, but you can never get the sand from a rock out of his butt crack. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I still have that, you know, you know in, in some part of me, that, that warrior mentality. And I'm not someone who's going to be intimidated. You know, if anything, if you come at me, I'm going to use judo. I'm going to take that momentum. I'm going to use it to my advantage. Like even, like I said, with this arrest, okay, I'm announcing for president on, on the, you know, the most dangerous to the establishment platform in, in, the, in American history. Well, yeah, come at me, bro. And, and when, you, when you, you're going to falsely arrest me for that, I'm going to take that momentum, and I'm going to turn it into a ton of publicity. And I'm going to call attention to your violence and your criminality, and it's going to backfire like most government programs, and it's going to have a worse effect for you than it will on me. To get back to the start of this interview, man, 10 days in jail? No big deal. Small cost of doing business. I did seven months in Fallujah for the government. Yeah, I can do 10 days in jail to stand up to their illegitimate power. I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't think I've experienced what most people describe as gang stalking and the kind of, uh, you know, personal surveillance and petty harassment because I've successfully created uh, a spotlight on myself through social media. And, you know, they could cut me off of any one platform and I'll still have plenty of others. You know, I, I've done depending on how you want to count them, uh, really like five national tours now, l- the last three true, uh, you, know, you know, cities in, in, in almost every state in, in the continental U.S. type tours. So, I, you know, I have a huge network. I have a huge backing. If anything happens to me, they, there's going to be attention called to it. And I think they have a hard time coming after someone like me because for, the, for a government, you know, bureaucrat or political hacker, whoever it is, to say go after Kokesh, they have to say Why? You know, and I'm so visible and I'm so upfront about what I'm doing. I'm so, you know, clear that it's about freedom and peace and love and harmony that, that they have a hard time framing me or setting me up. Like they did with Schaefer Cox, you know, and, and I love Schaefer, so I don't mean this is any criticism of him. But because what he did was involved, you know, had, had more, more direct involvement with, with citizens reclaiming, you know, physical violence power using firearms at the local level, you know, they were able to set him up with some of those charges, and he had a little less visibility, and and a lot of what what he did went down before we had the fully developed social media networks that we have today. So I I, I think in in a sense, you know, I have a little protection, I have a little immunity. I don't want to, I don't want to jinx myself right now saying this because I know as this presidential campaign picks up speed, you know, it's it's going to be worse. But you know, I'm really hoping that. You know, if there's anybody listening to this right now who is a government employee who's been asked to to do something unethical towards me, if you're eavesdropping on this, you know, that, that, you, that you really listen. So to anybody who's listening to me right now on behalf of government in some way, you know, I want you to know that you're part of the human family, too. And I love you. And I want you to be free. I want you to have a peaceful life. I don't want you to have to work for government. I don't want you to have to do evil things in the name of government. And, and I think because that is such a core part of my message that they really have a hard time, you know, ordering someone to assassinate me or, um, you know, to 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 do the sort of gang stalking stuff. But, I, you know, of course, I wouldn't put it past them. I understand that, you know, they could take me out at any time, although I think if they did, you know, it would be it would be worse for them. I think, I think if they shot me right now, if I were to die, you know, having done what I've done, having gotten the message out that I have, having written the book that I have, that you know they they it would be um you know it would it would be worse for them it would call more it would if anything it would accelerate the the demise of 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 the state of unjust violent authority, so you know in that sense, I feel pretty comfortable you know living my life the way i'm going to live it and 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 you know projecting uh love and and peace and and the desire to to get freedom to everyone uh, openly
1: uh, yeah it seems like. Uh, with a lot of these these cases of people being harassed, r- really the goal of whoever these parties are is, is to wear a person down and really get in their head. And I think with your case – Yeah, they can't probably, do that to me. Yeah, no way. Mm-hmm. I'm
0: impervious to that kind of shit.
1: Yeah, a little bit harder because you have the military background. You've, you've been in, in the shit, so to speak. So it's really hard to get in your head and wear you down. But I, I do understand that they actually uh, – somebody r- ransacked your home?
0: Well, that was when they searched my vehicle that it was, it was turned inside out. You know, typically, actually, when, when my RV was raided, it was a, a relatively mild search compared to what a lot of people go through and also compared to when my home in Virginia was raided in 2013. There they really ransacked it, turned shit inside out, uh, broke open my safe, you know, broke a lot of stuff. Um, and, uh, it was, it was pretty, pretty disgusting. Uh, but no, I mean, the stuff that I've suffered, you know, as a result of standing up, really is petty. I really don't want people to see me as a victim. You know, I understand, yes, I'm a victim in this circumstance. Yes, I was victimized here. Yes, I'm victimized there. But, you know, again, to, to turn it back to the, to the racial issue, you know, a lot of black Americans who suffer under the war on drugs don't have the visibility, don't have the protection. They get railroaded. They get bullied into submission. They get threatened with, with you know, extra charges. They do, you know, way more time for the same crimes as, as white people. So in terms of what I've actually suffered as a victim of the police state, even in social media censorship, it's it's really relatively small compared to you know the true victims of government and what they've experienced.
1: And being that you do have uh, somewhat of a connection to Russia, what do you think about all the? It looks like hate and propaganda to me against against Russia. Uh, is, is the Russian government really that bad? Is I know you've spoken out about Putin, but is he this monster that he's being portrayed as recently?
0: All governments are fundamentally evil, and so I'm not willing to give someone like Putin a pass, even if you see him doing things that might have generally positive effects or equalizing effects. One of the most important things to remember about Russia – is that you know, we've been taught to think of it as the equal superpower to the United States. But depending on how you measure it, their economy is one 30th to a 40th the size of the American economy. If anything, it would be much more accurate to describe Russia as a satellite of the American empire than some equal competing superpower. And all of this talk about collusion with Russia really misses the point because the greatest foreign power in terms of, of corrupting American foreign policy is not Russia, it's Israel. And, and, and there's no talk about, hey, what's the ish- Israel collusion? And it's like, well, Israel so controls both parties and both candidates, they didn't care if it was Trump or Clinton. Either way, they're going to get, you know, what is it, $40 billion a year in military aid and all the other, you know, benefits that they get behind the scenes through the American military industrial complex. So no, the, the idea, of, and, and I, I do believe, and that's funny because George W came out recently and said yes of course Russia was meddling yeah and this is like hello the American government has been meddling in the affairs of countries all over the world for pretty much its entire history so it, it is really a, a silly accusation lacking historical context to say oh my gosh this is terrible now the Russians you know or they, they meddled in the American election now if there was collusion with one campaign or another you might say that that crossed another line but it's it's such a small incremental line, you know, past that that it really doesn't matter when the, the the greatest collusion and corruption from foreign powers in the United States is clearly from Israel, not from Russia.
1: And how do you feel about this recent major move by our president to uh, move the embassy to Jerusalem?
0: <sighs> well... I try. I try to keep my feelings, you know, out of this kind of stuff, so I can look at it objectively. And and when I look at it objectively, you know, I'm 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 just thinking, well, why is why do the American people allow ourselves to be represented in other countries by our government at all, instead of by people, you know, and companies uh, and organizations who are peaceful? And, and this idea that Donald Trump, as the president, can to just sign a piece of paper, and and now a, a foreign government has a different capital. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't understand it, and I don't really care to. It's not a subject that I've like gotten into in any any kind of great depth because it's all based on so many dangerous and absurd false premises. That you know, I'd rather address those false premises. You know, you as a free, beautiful, independent human being own yourself and this is the foundation of ethics this is why it's wrong to hurt you or violate your self-ownership physically to take your stuff you know you can sum up libertarianism as don't hurt people don't take their stuff and the only justified use of force is in self-defense and when people all over the world realize this and i think this is part of what we see happening with the internet with the paradigm shift is people are becoming more empowered and more and more people are understanding that that's what i want people to embrace but like I said originally about this campaign, uh, if, if I may sidebar for just a second here, uh, I used to, in my speeches, uh, to to sort of make fun of libertarians, or not make fun, but to challenge them intellectually, I would say, uh, you know, how many of you designed the cut of the shirt that you're wearing right now? And, of course, always there's one smartass in the back who raises his hand and says, I'm as fashion as I but no, There's usually it's nobody, right? You ask an audience that it's it's nobody. And so I could, so I say, Hey, look, if I was given a speech on fashion and and design, then I could, I could, I could ridicule you all and say that you're a bunch of sheep. You're a bunch of followers. None of you even designed your own clothes that you're wearing today. Right. And, and, and I think the point that I'm, that that most people are able to, to really easily get out of thats that, just, that, that we do have it incumbent upon ourselves as those of us who care, who see these issues, to take leadership. As opposed to demanding that other people understand what we understand, that, that, we, that we enlist ourselves in, in service to humanity to make their lives better. And that's why localization is the way forward. Most human beings don't have to understand philosophy. They don't have to study economics to realize that the closer government is to the community, to the individual, the better off we're all going to be, the less corrupt it's going to be, the more free, the more safe, the more prosperous we're all going to be. And, and while there is this this deeper philosophical paradigm shift happening as well, uh, I think most importantly is, is this uh, sort of immediate practical paradigm shift that, that I'm hoping to, to, to lead, to show leadership in and, and say, look, this is how we move humanity forward. We're going to decentralize power. We're going to localize governments from the top down, take them apart and restore power uh, to our communities, away from this trend of, of centralization. And, and I think uh, that everything I've seen just says this is the future for humanity.
1: And on that note, do you feel at some point that these private militias, that, you know sometimes they have some storehouses of firearms and rifles and things like that, uh, do you think it's possible that the government might try labor, Labeling these people as terrorists and targeting them?
0: Oh, of course, it's it's already happening. You know, I, I mean, even when I was in Iraq, you know, we imposed martial law. Uh, and and it's, it's really kind of ironic that under, you know, a Republican, George W. Bush, We imposed gun control on a country in chaos where we would say, no, people should be able to defend themselves. And anytime we, you know, kicked down a door and raided a home and found weapons, and this wasn't something I was doing, I was in civil affairs. But, you know, every time that happened, it, you know, it was, well, you can't have guns. If you have guns, you must be a terrorist. And it's, it's, it's really pretty, pretty sick and sad.
1: And I do find that you've been talking quite a bit about freedom and freedom is something that's very important to me. In fact, I've made a lot of choices in my life to maintain a sense of freedom, like, like not having children, for example. And I actually feel like it it kind of makes people jealous in some way. Um, it's, it seems like when a person views another person with more freedoms than them, it, it kind of bothers them a little bit. They recognize that that person has something that they do not. Um, do you think there's something to that? Like, Maybe the ultimate truth is that if you have power, really all you get is more responsibility. But uh, there's something about freedom that, that is really so much better. Perhaps the key to happiness really is freedom.
2: Well, <laughs>
0: yeah, your individual will respect that. There's definitely a lot to what you just said. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dispute the, the dynamics that you point out, although I want the freedom to have kids. Without government interference, I want the freedom to have kids without thinking that CPS is going to come and steal them in the middle of the night or raid my home because I'm, I'm homeschooling them or, or unschooling them or, you know, letting them direct their own education. It is the natural state for a child's healthy mind. You know, I, I want to, to have the freedom. I, you know, you, you say freedom and responsibility and and now this is kind of opening up a whole other philosophical conversation Whoops. that you know, I, I, I don't really, you know, that's no, no, fine. I, but I don't really try to get into that because, to me, you know, I want you, to, my ultimate goal is for you to be able to determine those parameters in your own life without any kind of external interference. If you want to take on a responsibility, if, if you want to take on a certain power, and when you say power, obviously – You know, there are a lot of different ways of defining that. And we've been talking about political power mostly, which is unjust power based on violence, based on central control, based on lies and propaganda. But when you talk about, like, legitimate power, like that that you have power in your community or in the economy because you're providing value to other people or you've taken on some responsibility and made yourself dependable and accountable, then I want you to be able to determine those parameters in your life for yourself. Now, when you say that other people look at you, and, and say, Daniel, you've got this freedom that, that I don't have, you know, I, I think that's a great way to inspire people by, by living by example and, and challenging them because most pe- the reason that we have the problems that we have with government, you know, as, as you pointed out earlier, talking about the Stanford Prison experiment and the Milgram obedience studies, is that there is this element of human nature that, you know, is inclined to submit and when you show people that they don't have to and they live better being free and asserting their independence and their free will yeah we're all going to be a lot happier
1: and adam this is this is definitely one of one of the last things i wanted to ask you and i believe i probably asked you this before but uh, a lot of people in the conspiracy world like Alex Jones has said this a lot of times, but a lot of this stuff, uh, including that includes supernatural elements, aliens, and things like that, Illuminati. Um, many feel that it's actually some form of coin tell pro disinformation, misinformation, to really distract everybody from these ground floor level obvious problems and lies that are right in our face. Um, would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I, I thought for a long time that Alex Jones was controlled opposition because he got to start in terrestrial radio. If you're the people behind 9-11, who do you want representing the 9-11 truth cause? Right. It's going to come out anyway. So why not put the most, you know, sensationalist, least credible person out in front of it that you can? I think the fact that he ended up getting so strongly behind Donald Trump really just proves that, you know, he's not consistent in, in his own, you know, living up to his own alleged espoused principles. And, yeah, it's a distraction issue. Like, I'm, I'm really not big on studying conspiracies because, unless you count government because it is the biggest conspiracy to take advantage of all of us. So, you know, it, it, if you want to say uh, that, that uh, you know, looking at the moon landing or, you know, the, the Gulf of Tonka, I think it's important to study history, but there's enough that we know in history that clearly shows that government itself is a giant conspiracy that it, it – it, it, well, the analogy I like to use, and, and sometimes I use a um, – I'll, I'll just use the, the uh, family-friendly, non-prison version of this analogy. So if you want to use your imagination and figure that one out when I'm done, feel free. But if you have a knife in your back, if you're getting stabbed in the back, are you supposed to – Go, gee, I wonder what kind of knife that is. That's an interesting pommel and hilt. And look at the jeweled handle. Wow, that's really fascinating. I wonder where this knife came from. I wonder where, who made it. Or are you going to say, no, get the knife out of my back now and focus <laughs> on that. And so if you're focused on studying the knife instead of helping us get it out of our backs, I think that really should say something about your true motivation. And I think a lot of people, if you just present that to them, they go, oh, crap. Yeah, you're right. Let's
1: get the knife out. Uh, yeah, very good point. And uh, I do know that you're on a on a normal phone, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know we agreed to an hour, but I, I do want to go ahead and just open things up a little bit for you. I like to do this each time, but, Adam, if you'd like to just hop up on that soapbox one more time and just say whatever you would like to say <laughs> to my audience out there, and please follow that up with anything at all that you would like to plug, anything that you feel needs to be relevant, go ahead.
0: Well, Daniel, I appreciate that. This has been a lot of fun. It's been a great conversation. I hope your listeners appreciate and enjoy it as much as I have. And I, I really appreciate your perspective and, and, you know, how you've you've guided this. So let me just say that I hope that, that if people, you know, really consider what I've said, that they would come to the same conclusion that I have, that the greatest source of injustice in the world today is the United States federal government. And it exists with the consent of the American people. And what I'm doing with my presidential campaign is turning the American presidential election into a referendum on whether or not the federal government should be allowed to exist at all. We are going to withdraw our consent for the first time ever. The American people are going to have a real vote, not over what flavor, color uh, of master overlord they're going to have, but whether we should have one at all. And and I I hope you'll join me in this. I'm running for the Libertarian Party nomination for president because I think it's the most efficient platform to get this message in front of the American people. We're so far ahead of schedule with this campaign right now that I'm very confident what we're going to be able to do with the 2018 Libertarian Party National Convention is going to fundamentally change the American political conversation entirely so that this idea will be part of the conversation. My goal is not to make myself the presumptive nominee of the Libertarian Party, although we do hope to achieve that. It is not to to be uh, the, the presumed you know, last president of the United States, although we hope to achieve that as well. More fundamentally than that, what we're able to do by getting this message out now, and again, this is not an educational campaign. We are running to win, and we are ready to win. We have what it takes to organize this huge administrative effort of dissolving the greatest criminal organization in the world But what I want more fundamentally than any of that is for it to be presumed that this is the way forward for humanity and that by 2020 the American people are not going, should we have Donald Trump or Elizabeth Warren or The Rock or Oprah as president or or maybe Adam, uh, you know, with his plan to dissolve the federal government. I, I want the presumption to be that this is what the American people are doing. We are finally having the next American revolution, the final American revolution, living up to the promise of our founding, the ideals of our founders, and that we just, that, that we're not asking the question, should we have a federal government or not? We're asking, who's got the best plan to dissolve the federal government? And I hope to have a lot of competition in that regard. I hope there are more people coming in with different ideas and different plans on how to localize and how to decentralize power. And once, once this idea gets out there, once, uh, enough Americans, enough human beings all over the world realize that the way forward is decentralization of power, getting government back down to the community level, then I will have really achieved my goal. And, and if you see what what we have when we get government down to the states, and then eventually we get it down to the counties, I think there you're going to see the, 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 the actual dissolution of government itself, or rather a, a transition of those functions to voluntary institutions, things that we would not even call government at that point. And you can imagine when we got to that, when we get to that point, we're done as libertarians. That's it. We can retire. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a socialist county or a communist county or a conservative county or a liberal, whatever. If if I can have a county where, where my community gets to set its own rules, where I can opt out on my own property, where everything is peaceful and voluntary, then then we're done. And, and I think that's you know, how we can respect the right of self-determination of our fellow human beings to organize how they want in their communities. That's that's what's so essential about this message is that it's uniting people left, right, and center against the common enemy that is big centralized government. We are separating ethics from aesthetics, right? The aesthetics of I want my community to look this way. I want it to be organized this way with these values, whatever. With ethics of that's fine, but you can't use force and violence against peaceful people to achieve those goals. They have to be achieved Voluntarily. And so I hope that people would join us in this effort right now. We know that the Libertarian Party leadership is very corrupt. We know that people like Bill Weld have come in and tried to steal this platform, these washed up Republicans. We know that he's my main competition right now for 2020, although we, we seem to have done a great job of uh, putting it in his place pretty early here. And what I'm doing is organizing people all over the country to go to their state conventions, and to become delegates to the national convention. It's very easy. We want to make it as easy as possible for you. We're going to help you out with the logistics. We have a great campaign team making it possible for people to do this. And we want to make it so that it's uh, as inexpensive as possible. We're going to be organizing ride shares and Airbnb homes around the convention so that people can, can do this. Uh, w- without putting a lot of money into it. And and what I'm doing in 2018, aside from cleaning up the leadership of the Libertarian Party, is that we want to make localization uh, part of the platform and put out a unity statement to the American people that says if you want government localized, then we can all come together as the Libertarian Party and we can make this happen. So if you want to join me in this, please, you can go to kokeshforpresident.com. And, and Daniel, I assume you're organized. You'll include the links. But just Absolutely. in case, the easiest... Yeah, the easiest way to find me, like I said, is my main website, thefreedomline.com. You can get my book for free there. You can find kokeshforpresident.com. You can find all my social media stuff, and it is thefreedomline.com.
1: And if you're going to believe somebody's your are soulmate and they're not, then you got some issues. You got personal issues, and you're going to need some tissues. Okay, so what the hell even just happened right there? The thing I was just talking about was not in my notes. I just kind of went off. But I believe it's time to circle back and get back to, get back to my notes here because that's the way I structured the show and I shouldn't go off on these wild tangents. And remember, if you want to call in to End of Days Radio at any, any point, call in at 209-348-9810 or just add ninjashoes777 on Skype. I know our call ins and live listeners have kind of dropped off a bit because, you know, with me uh, starting a new career, I've had to do the show at a different time. You know, it's not, it's no longer every Saturday night at such and such time. Now it's more like any time. <laughs> the show really happens at any time, so it's it's hard for everybody to kind of congregate in the same way that we used to. And I do apologize for that. And I know that a lot of you guys out there really love that. And it's not me destroying that because I don't like it or anything like that. It's more just me changing the show and adapting it so that I can get more done so that I can take care of myself and pay my bills and still do this show and do it at least once a week. Because if if I can't be independent and I can't like record the show and release it whenever I want – and have it more of a podcast, then I can't just sit down and record it at any time. So that's, that's part of the reason why we do it this way. Is it as good or as efficient? Probably not. But is the show still evolving and getting better anyways? Yes, of course. And if you are able to listen to the live show, if you pay attention to the schedule at endofdaysradio.com, and you're able to uh, join us live or, or call on live, I absolutely love that, and I will always have a live show. I will promise you that. The show will always be live. I love being live. It's just that uh, focusing on the podcast form is important, too, because I do know all of you guys can always listen live, and you got to listen to it in bits when you can. And really, that's the way that the show is intended to be listened to. Whatever you want, you could be, you could be painting your little Warhammer figurines, or you could be mowing your lawn, or you could be picking the crap out of your teeth or you could be taking a dump or whatever you're doing. You can listen to this show at the same time. Video games. If you're a gamer and you like to play video games, if you play competitively and you play 24 seven, we'll have this show playing in the background and you can listen to our live stream at endofdaysradio.com. When I'm not broadcasting live, that stream is actually running like the entire history of the show, all the past episodes. So that's a way that you can, that you can actually uh, catch up on end of days radio, what it is and hear all of those old episodes while you're doing something completely different. That's actually how I got into coast to coast. I would play world of Warcraft (laughs) and I would have old R bell episodes playing in the background. I learned a lot from that and it, you know, it really helped me kind of set the stage for what's going on now. And, you know, if I could take that time back, I probably would have never played that damn addicting game. (laughs) Luckily, it gets old. Otherwise, we'd be in trouble because they, that game is just insanely addicting at first. But as time goes on, you're just like, "Ugh, I want to try some PS4 games," or you know what I mean. You, you go back to the PS4, the consoles, and you go back and forth. You, I have, ugh, I know I'm talking way too much and way too fast. That goes with drinking coffee when I do the show, which I probably shouldn't do. But I'm going to switch topics again. <laughs> so I've got all these video games sitting on my shelf that I pretty much never get to. And some of them are like halfway beaten. Some of them I barely started. And some of them I'm at like the very end, but I didn't beat it because I was like savoring it. And then I ended up never going back. And they're just like sitting there. And then I buy new games and I play those instead. Uh, Partially because I do love gaming, but at the same time I'm a full-grown adult and I have to work. And, uh, you know, this this podcast comes first before other things. And, you know, when I play the guitar, I'm kind of doing it in between. And I do want to get back in the gym, but I only have so much time. But it's important for us to have some kind of outlet. Like, you know, video games are one type of outlet that I really like because you can play them really any time to kind of relax and get your mind off things. But I think it's important to have, like, a social outlet, too. And a lot of people that listen to the show are loners, and I get that. Because there has to be some way where you felt like you were apart apart from society or you were apart from things, right? Because, because, oh, what am I trying to say? Because you had to almost feel like an outsider at some point to really engage, want to engage these crazy fringe topics, right? Like at some point, you must have been looking for some kind of escape. But really... And no matter which way you splice it, it's never good to be alone. There's strength in numbers, and maybe it's just that you need to find more people like you, or you need to grow a little bit to the point where you can accept other people into your life or into your heart, but it's good to have some kind of outside activity. Like with me, it became the martial arts classes. Like that became a way that I could interact and engage people, and have, have a social life outside of the show and outside of work. And I really think that that's something that is important because I mean, some of us have a few friends from high school and, you know, if you're a really super great person, you probably have a ton of friends from back then and you've been able to maintain those friendships and everything. But most people, you know, they, they have like one or two friends from back then that they hardly talk to and, or nobody at all. So as you grow, I mean, you still gotta, since you're not going to school anymore, you gotta have some kind of social outlet. You know, besides the people you work with who you're basically paid to put up with, right? And that could be anybody. Sometimes you can make great friendships that way. But my point is that you gotta have something. Whether that's martial arts classes, whether that's dancing, whether that's some sort of art art group or a book group or a Star Trek Club or some kind of weird weird stuffed animal fetish shit thing, then go for it. I mean, whatever it is, like, whatever you feel passionate about and what fuels you, find other people that are interested and like-minded. Maybe it's activism. Maybe for you it's activism. And I've tried to get a few of you guys to, like, join up with me and try to, like, go raid some underground bases or something like that. Not to say we'd actually get that close, but I understand that it's like, you know, we, we have to go back to our normal lives in the morning, and we can't be putting ourselves at risk. I get that. I have to do that. For me to keep doing this show, I have to not do things that are that risky, and it's not to say that I never do things that are risky, but uh, I, I really have to be able to, I have responsibilities and things I have to take care of, so... Um, my way of connecting with people and in, in my form of activism is to do this show. And when you look at what's actually out there, there's not really that many people doing it. And the reason that is, is even though you have millions and billions of people in this world, these podcasts, they take a lot of work and you'll see a lot of them pop up and kind of fizzle out. And Hey, we've been here for, what, we started in 2012? Six fucking years. This show, End of Days Radio and... Of course, Michael's spinoff show, and, you know, we've both been doing this for a very long time, so there's a lot of experience under my belt, and I'm kind of proud of the fact that I've been able to keep doing this where other people haven't, not to say that I'm better than them or anything like that, but it's just me patting myself on the back and being like, oh, yeah, way to go, buddy. You've stayed consistent. You've kept doing the show. There's an audience that actually follows you. That's kind of nice. Whereas, unless you are a celebrity, unless you have that inbuilt following and have that financial motivation, a lot of people, they just don't stick with this. Uh, Many of the people that are still doing it are stand-up comics, ex-reality show people, pro wrestlers, MMA fighters, people like that. But there's something to be said for the, the grassroots normal individual who is just doing it because they want to do it. You know, you might have, let's say you have 10,000 people listening to you. And to be honest with you guys, 10,000 isn't going to earn you very much money in ad revenue or donations or anything like that. It's just the truth. If you really, you know, if you actually want to make a living doing something like this, the truth is you need hundreds of thousands. That's just me being honest with you guys out there. And... I have so much respect for you people out there that have those you know, audiences of thousands and you're still doing it because I know you're not making anything. You're probably just meeting your costs or not even. And I have so much respect for you guys because you are helping pushing podcasting forward. This is a great medium. And the last thing we want is for this to fizzle out because there's not enough uh, monetary gain from it. And that's part of the reason why I I, I understand that and I'm aware of that. And that's why I, I'm into helping people get started with this because I know how hard it is. And believe me, I'm not worried about the competition because, once again, I know how hard it is. And for everybody that's out there keeping the candle lit, I thank you guys. And I will do everything in my power to help you keep going, whether that's having you on the show here or just talking to you and keeping you motivated or, or giving you some kind of free plug or whatever. I'm happy to do stuff like that. Because we are we are all on the same side. And if your interest is really waking people up and it's really making the world a better place, then you're on the same team as I am. And I can put up with things about you I don't like. I just paused there to kind of just let that sit in. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Let's get back to the notes. I'm doing it again. The coffee, it's melting my brain. I'm getting all baby bleh. Baby, baby, I should have another sip, actually. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, God, that's good. There's not much sugar or cream in there, either. Maybe, what, a tablespoon of creamer? I really love that natural coffee taste. I know what you're thinking. Oh, of course he likes coffees from Seattle. <laughs> Starbucks. <laughs> no. It's just that... A warm cup of joe is excellent on a cold day. That's all it is. But there is a lot to talk about, so let's get off of this unholy rant of mine. Let's get back to the show. As many of you know, the winner of this year's Super Bowl is the Philadelphia Eagles. Yay for them. Yay for them. As you know, it wasn't long ago that the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and they were actually in the Super Bowl the next year. But it's good to see another team doing well. It's good to see them get a, a championship under their belts. That's amazing. And I know I'm totally late to the party on this stuff, but this is the first broadcast since the Super Bowl has happened. So I'm going to talk about it on this episode. First of all, I I love the fact that the fans in philadelphia are passionate i love that i love that they care i love that they keep the f- they keep <laughs> the team going they keep that momentum going without the fans the eagles would not have been in the super bowl that's the first thing and i'm not i'm not talking sports i'm not going to get into the actual game or anything like that i know that a lot of you guys aren't sports fans and you don't tune into this show to listen to sports but i know everybody watches the super bowl so i think this is okay But (laughs) I, I just can't help but comment on the rioting going on in Philadelphia. And specifically, one particular incident that everybody was talking about since it happened, and people are still talking about it, is the individual who took it upon himself to eat horse poop in celebration. He was out there on the streets with the people rioting, and he somehow he wound up with a big crowd around him that were chanting, eat it, eat it, eat it, or they're chanting something. They were goading him into doing this. And he takes both his hands and he scoops up this big pile of fresh shit and he starts shoving it in his mouth. And, <coughs> oh God, you know what? I'm sorry. I just became aware of the, <laughs> I became aware of the picture I was painting and I don't want to make you guys puke. But he takes this big, handful of horse fresh green and brown horse manure and just stuffs it into his mouth and starts like chewing on and sucking on and spitting it out and and everybody's like "Ah!" and they're filming it from multiple angles this guy actually became nationally perhaps even world famous for eating a huge handful of horse excrement of horse poop and you got to imagine that for it to be there and to look that fresh and for there to be people paying attention to it, that it must have just came out of the horse's bottom, right? It's behind. It must have just happened. Like, it must have just dropped. And I, I do recall actually reading something about that, too. Like, the horse just pooped. And this guy, and he's got this... His clothes look dingy, like they're from, like, five to seven years ago. Like, his gear even looks... A little aged, a little worn. It seems to have, it seems to have a layer of suit on it. <laughs> and the guy, he's a little overweight, really ugly guy. I mean, I, I'm not somebody that goes around thinking about people's looks or anything, but just right away you see him, you're like, wow, that's a, uh, you know, not the best looking individual I've seen. And then he's got, he's got this like big, big old Gonzo nose, and he's just whitewashed, and he's got these dark circle under. Dark circles under his eyes and this like red, red that's on top of his eyelids, underneath the eyes. Like you can tell this guy's probably got some problems. He's got a very worn down sort of look, and he and he's got these the, his eyes. His eyes just they almost have this energy about them, like this dark sort of vibe. And you imagine a guy would have to have something going on with him, some kind of depression or self-hatred, you know, wanting to hurt yourself, and it's a masochistic, humiliating yourself in public thing, and I got to hand it to him, he got the whole world talking about him, laughing, it was funny, kind of, I mean, it was at least, like, hey, look at this, (laughs) right, it went viral, and I, Hey, I would love to have that guy on the show. I want the Philly shit eater on the show because that is some of the most paranormal shit I've ever seen. <laughs> That's the most paranormal event that I've ever witnessed. <laughs> forget the reptilians. Forget the ghosts, forget the goblins. I want to talk to the Philly shit eater right now. But at the same time you gotta imagine that if he was talking to the press, I'm sure TMZ would have already picked that up. It'd be a long time before he got to me. But I'm still going to put that out there. If anybody knows the Philadelphia poop eater, or I'm sorry, horse poop eater, because it's not like he was eating human poop. That would almost be slightly more normal. (laughs) He was actually eating horse manure. (laughs) Scooping it up in his ass. Do you think he must have done that when he was a kid? Like he was the kid that would eat slugs and eat chalk. And one day he's like, Hey, I'm gonna do that thing I did when I was a kid. I'm gonna do it at the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's how I got attention back then, right? <laughs> oh Lord! And you know what else is funny about that is here in Seattle, our team won the Super Bowl, and guess what happened? There was a peaceful parade. Hundreds of thousands of people showed up. Local celebrities, the Rick Steves, the Misha Tate, the Macklemore's, they were all there. Nobody was rioting. Nobody was breaking stuff. It was just happy. It was peaceful. But, you know, no offense to you people out there in the city of brotherly love or brotherly ungodliness, <laughs> but look at what our city did compared to what your city did, right? Look look at how much more civilized people are here in Seattle <laughs> and how we kept it all about the team instead of breaking stuff and all that. And I know there's a difference in... Um, you know, difference in social class there, but I don't care. Don't act that way. I don't care if you're rich or you're poor. Quit making excuses. Don't act that way, period. Don't live in the moment that much. <laughs> hey, don't get me wrong. I know that you people out there love your sports, but I think most of you have fun with it and you don't punch people in the face when your team loses or especially when your team wins. I know that happened before in, was it Los Angeles, when the Lakers won? There were fires and riots and stuff like that. Yay, we won! Let's break everything! (laughs) But that's what I'm talking about, how these young people nowadays, they just... That's fun to them, that's cool. And I can't help but think that these young folk, they know something's wrong. They know something's wrong with the world, but... Whereas you and I... Oh, someone's calling. Wow. Hello.
4: Hey, Daniel. What's going on?
1: Hey. Is this Al?
4: Yeah, I got a new phone.
1: Oh, my God. I, <laughs> I've never heard you so clearly. I almost didn't recognize you at first.
4: Exactly. That's why I was checking in with you. Oh, hey, I can talk to you.
1: No, no, that's, this is excellent. So... Um, where should we where should we start? Did you have something that you wanted to talk about, or did you want to give me some input on the interview you just heard, or perhaps what I was talking about?
3: No,
4: I was just checking in. And, uh, you know, before when I called in, I couldn't hardly hear everything. I was hearing every other word you were saying, so I couldn't really carry on a conversation very well. So I was making you repeat everything you said, and I'll just check in and let you know I got me a new phone so I can be heard and I can hear you.
1: Did you watch that Super Bowl?
4: No, I don't watch sports.
1: That's probably a good thing.
4: Uh, what's well, an Illuminati distraction to keep you distracted from seeing what's really going on?
1: Interesting. I, I've, I've heard that there's something about the team names, too. Like, somehow that keeps you uh, hypnotized.
4: I don't know about all that. I just thought I'd use it to keep people distracted as long as they're thinking about their favorite sports team. They're not thinking about real important stuff, right?
1: Yeah, that's a good point and uh, it, it really makes you care and it draws you in and, and the those n f l games get some seriously high viewing numbers. <laughs>
3: Oh. oh, Al, you're
1: you're breaking up really bad, buddy.
4: Alrighty. Oh, they must be trying to keep me from talking to you.
1: Yeah, there have been issues with this show. There's been times when the show was completely shut down by freak storms or because the internet was simply just turned off.
4: Yeah, I remember that night you are Broadcasting all of a sudden, your internet went off.
1: Yeah, and everything else was on, and the internet was working fine for months and months, twenty four seven, never had an issue. Then suddenly, right when I'm in the middle of talking about some serious shit, kaplu it.
4: Yeah, well, it's just like yesterday. I went to pay my phone bill for my other phone. It got shut off at midnight the night before because it was due on the seventh. So I went to go pay it, and they wouldn't let me. Wouldn't take my payment.
1: They wouldn't take your payment?
4: Yeah, I had Walmart's friends and family deal, and they sold their phone thing back to whoever they got it from. And I went down there to pay my phone bill, and their computer system wouldn't let them take my payment. So I just said, screw that Went and got this one set up.
1: Yeah, sometimes that's what you have to do.
4: Yeah, it's like the phone company didn't want my money. I didn't get that.
1: Uh, Al, did you see that? Did you see that stuff in the news about Donald Trump moving the uh, embassy to Jerusalem? Oh yeah. Is that
3: a that, sign yeah.
1: that we are indeed in the end of days?
4: I don't believe in the end of days. You know, a hundred years ago, everybody said the same thing. The turn of the
1: century, oh, it's the end of the world.
4: Pretty much the end of every century, they say it's the end of the world. They all think it's the day of judgment. It's like that movie Poltergeist. That's what that was about. A hundred years ago, some preacher told his followers it was the end of the world and they killed themselves in the cave. And then all got buried there in that cemetery and that's why they were all pissed off when their graves got disturbed.
1: So they got pissed off, they, the they woke up and they realized it wasn't the end of the world and they're like, hey, let's kick some ass. Yeah,
4: there's even a Simpsons episode like that where it's supposed to be the end of the world and never comes. <clears throat> If there's a lot of stuff in The Simpsons that turns out to be real, that's the one I should go by.
1: Yeah, I do think there's something to be said, but you have to admit, there's a lot of natural disasters going on, and there, and there seems to be a big hubbub around that Israel area.
4: Well, that's because that's where the first uh, celestial being came to this world through the stargate there, or a portal, as it were. Hmm, that's Technically, that's, well Jerusalem just means New Salem back in the day it was just called Salem I don't know where the Jeru came from but originally that town was called Salem when it was first founded it was called Salem no Jerusalem just Salem
1: like the Salem witch
3: trials
4: no that's just Salem was what it was just the same, same oh. name, yeah. I get my dog to shut up. Yeah, uh, Salem, it's just a name, it's a word.
1: I have heard the, the theories that there are some sort of stargates buried somewhere in the Middle East.
4: Yes, the Dallas St. found one. That's where the Garden of Eden one was.
1: So, now, if, if this is the case, is the world flat, and is there actually, like, portals to other dimensions?
3: Uh,
4: well, from the scuttlebutt I got, the Earth was blown up in 1999, and we're all in a hologram. That's why that movie The Matrix came out to tell us where we are now. So, it's... Like, uh, yeah, Earth, the Earth was real, but some dumbasses using a time machine went in the future, got tech that they didn't need to have. Brought it back to the twentieth century and detonated it, and it's called a chain reaction bomb. And they didn't know what they were playing with, and it blew up the entire planet. So basically, we're all in a matrix right now, just to preserve us, keep us going, keep the continuity or continuity of humanity going.
1: So then, the movie The Matrix. It must have been some some sort of clue.
4: There's all kinds of clues in there. We we energize the matrix and it keeps us alive. What uh, is we're the, all dead.
1: What does the Illuminati fit in?
4: Well, uh, just everything that was everything the Earth was when it was blown up has just got recreated and into the matrix. And we're all just living in the matrix now, and for the continuity of humanity.
1: So we're so they took everything that ever happened and they they kind of just inserted it into this world so so that it our world now is just a mixture of everything that happened is what you're saying.
4: No, just everything that ever happened before the game is still part of our history. everything that
1: part of up. Oh can you repeat that last thing you said? They're trying to cut you off again.
4: I uh, was saying when the earth was blowing up, we were all transported out of some, some, or some giant alien or whatever, just put us all into this matrix so that the continuity of the human race could continue. Just like we moved the capital of the United States to Denver, in case somebody nukes Washington D.C., we can continue the continuity of government.
1: Is there some way to, human escape, race. The, is there some way to escape the simulation?
4: Nope. We're all trapped in it.
1: So what should we do then?
4: Just continue living your lives like you didn't know I just told you that. It's like I'm doing. I can't do nothing about it, so I'm just, I found out about it, but there's nothing I can do about it, so all I can do is just continue living my life like I didn't know, right?
1: But doesn't it disturb you to have all, the, all of this knowledge?
4: It used to. I tried to do something about it, and I found out I can't do nothing about it. There's, something controlling all of us, it's keeping us from, you know, there's nothing I can do about it, so.
1: You try to kill yourself?
4: Oh, hell no, that's an escape attempt. Suicide is definitely an escape attempt. Though I did see an interesting statistic on the news today, it said that since Robin Williams killed himself, suicides have gone up 10%. I guess that was a steady rate before that.
1: You know what's funny is, you know what's funny is, I went to the grocery store one time and on one of those billboard things, they had a, a, a thing you could rip off if you wanted to get the number for the suicide hotline. And like all those little strips of paper were ripped off, and I couldn't help but think, wow, there's a lot of people that are suicidal out there.
4: Well, that's because subconsciously they know what happened and they don't want to, you know, deal with it. There's a lot to be said about your subconscious. It knows a lot more than your conscious, right?
1: So some part of us knows that the world is fake.
4: Yeah, exactly. You want to get out of it, but, uh, you know, that's like I said, it's an escape attempt. They don't know how to process the information, so that's why they do that. Apparently, I must have known. When I found all the stuff I found out, I must have been capable of processing it because first it pissed me off. It didn't. Freaked me out and scared me but it pissed me off and then so I tried to do something about it and then I found out I can't do nothing about it so good deal with it right
1: what did you try to do uh,
4: I don't know I'm getting high on meth and freaking contacting the uh, spirits
1: and the spirits told you Sorry. what that you're shit out a lot
4: Uh, in, no round of, in a roundabout way yeah you know t- well, the only time I can actually hear them talking about me or talking to me is when I got music playing and I got the volume turned down on the radio, TV.
1: So they're like, oh, let us tell you about Atlantis. By the way, you're shit out of luck.
4: No, they don't want to tell me about that shit, just about what's going on now. I don't care about the past. All I care about is where we're, what's going on now and where we're going.
1: Where are we going? The near
4: future. Uh, I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure that out.
1: Is there There's even any point to, because if we know that it's just a big matrix, does it even matter?
4: Well, see, that's why nobody's really been told about it, because I reckon it's like if uh, everybody's a millionaire, nobody would want to go to work, right?
1: I suppose you're right.
4: Everybody thought there was no future for us, and nobody would want to go to work or do anything. They just want to sit around all bummed out depressed about thinking about what could be happening, right, instead of living our lives and trying to, so as long as we keep living our lives, then things will keep, continue going. If we all give up and everything stops, then we all cease to exist. We don't want that, now do we?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I see how that would be a bad thing, but at some point, it, are we going to all escape the matrix? Is Jesus going to come back or something?
4: <laughs> no, you were lied to about that Jesus thing. All I can suggest is there's a website I found called the... Uh, War in heaven the invisible college that's one I'd suggest everybody check out tells you about what's really going on here and why we're here and how we got here how to pretty much uh the whole reincarnation thing and everything and yeah, Jesus was a lie dude all of it in fact I just saw a bunch of crap on my Facebook page saying that Jesus and all the disciples were black that all the Jews are black people and you know just there's all kinds of misinformation crap out there.
1: I wonder if he had dreadlocks.
4: Uh, you mean like the Hasidic Jews?
1: No, I mean like Bob Marley.
4: Oh. Well, probably for the most part, everybody probably had dreadlocks because I don't think the comb was really invented until recently. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, that's... The modern comb. That's a good point. Probably everybody just had some caveman looking hair. But, you know, never mind that, Al. What about the human race? Is all that stuff about us evolving? Did we evolve from apes? Originally,
4: yeah. Well, not evolved. How about, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Constructed from?
1: By who, the aliens?
4: Yep. By the AI that runs the Matrix. That's how we got in the Matrix in the first place. Dumbasses went in the future, got their technology, blew up the planet, and then that robbed the AI of our presence. So I'm suggesting everybody read that webpage I found uh, called the uh, War in Heavens, the Invisible College.
1: So is, is, is this everything. is this artificial intelligence? Is it interacting with us right now? Oh, yeah. Do so you say it controls so our like thoughts?
4: A, well, it's like you take a man that's freaking normally kind of docile and just not very violent, I then mean, you insert alcohol, and all of a sudden they turn into this violent asshole. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure, you've seen it happen.
3: Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah, all, all kinds of times.
4: Or you take a normally law-abiding person, and all of a sudden they start doing drugs and turn into thieves.
1: True, true, very true.
4: So, something, you know, it's either the drugs are, either the being straight helps them provide or hide who they really are, and the drugs just bring their real self out, or the alcohol, or the whatever spirits, whatever is controlling everything is influencing it. I'm having trouble finding this website. Oh,
1: I know. You said it's called called the Invisible College?
4: Yeah, it's a website. I just Googled, um, one time I Googled War in Heaven and I found this website called the Invisible College. Another nice thing about having this phone is I can get on the internet and do shit while I'm talking to you and find stuff without having to Push you aside.
1: So explain you know I mean? this to me. Explain this invisible college to me. How? What? What is this?
4: I'm trying to find it right now. Let's see. Basically, it was telling me about how these so-called demigods, called theocrats, going around claiming to be God, like Jehovah
3: uh-huh. and Allah. Uh And all
4: these other gods are just demigods. But they're not really gods. They're just humans that have been around a while. And they... uh... Here we go. i can explain it to you here in a second. Let me bring up this website. Okay, this important book was self-published by Kyle Griffith in 1988 and has long been out of print. Griffith's publishing company no longer exists and its whereabouts had been unknown for years. Warren in Heaven consists of a dialogue between Griffith and a disembodied spirit who claims to be a member of a group called, calling itself the Invisible College. The format consists of questions and answers. Griffith states that the answers were received by automatic writing and read back to the contacted entity for review and correction. The questions and answers that appear in the text are actual the result of several iterations of review and discussion. The material thus generated is both convincing and compelling, and appears to be of vital importance to human society. This is a claim we all, this is a claim we see all the time. This time, I submit that the claim is truly justified. The reader should be warned: this book is of direct concern to SETI. It is about religion. It is about magic, and magic at times is about sex. These matters are all about the past, present, and future situation of the human race. That was the review, and this is the parts of the book. The Search for Spiritual Reality, The Shaver Mysteries, Conspiracies, The Sixties, Religion and Revolution, Passport to Paranoia, The Invisible War, Breaking Point, The Breakthrough. That's the breakthrough in spiritual consciousness like the Sixties. You know, everybody was all spiritually awakening then. Mm -hmm. Part two is the theocracy, the theocrats, the theocratic bands, religious mind control, soul, mind, and consciousness, electronic mind control, the history of theocracy, the invisible college, Satan, and Buddha, the age of reason, a revolution in consciousness, and the Aquarian age. Part three, the second breakthrough, hitchhiking spirits, elementals, gods, the fifth stage of theocracy, the technology war, the last days. Part Four: The Spiritual Revolution Toward a General Breakthrough. The Spiritual Revolutionary Movement. Spiritual Politics Today: The End and the Beginning. Does that all make sense?
1: Um. Yeah, I think so. But is there? What? What? What is the main like idea of this thing? Is are they saying that that this is the Illuminati?
4: No, this is the ones that control the Illuminati. All right. Recently, I posted a meme or a picture that shows a reptilian dangling DNA in front of a Zeta or a gray alien. And then the gray alien is, you know, like dangling a carrot in front of somebody. Then the gray alien is dangling awake or a spiritual awakening to the Illuminati person. Then the Illuminati person is dangling money in front of the Business people, and then the business people are dangling the American flag in, in hamburgers in front of the masses. Can so we, this is what the invisible
1: college is. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty interesting picture. Is that that you said that's on your Twitter?
4: No, that's on my Facebook page. I don't do there's Twitter and all that sort of stuff. I just do the basics. So this is the main. There are three main groups of spirits in the Invisible College, enlightened ones, magicians, and space people. The first major group of spirits in the Invisible College is the Enlightened Ones. Most of these spirits were highly advanced in spiritual knowledge and the use of their psychic powers during life. But they are also devout believers in some sect of the Eastern religious system that includes Vendetta and Buddhism. They were wise enough to refuse to join the theocratic bands associated with their particular sect after death, because they could psychically perceive the enslavement and exploitation going on on the various heavens. You've heard of the seventh heavens or seven heavens, right?
1: Uh, not really, but keep it on. Well, a
4: few of the Western occultists who have called themselves Illuminati or some other synonym of enlightened ones join this group after physical death. Most become magicians or theocrats. The enlightened ones could be very useful to our cause, but few of them are willing to stay on the astral plane and help actively fight theocracy. They consider the war in heaven an illusion and run away from it back into earthly existence, which they also consider illusory. So basically there's all kinds of turmoil in heavens, but everybody's, so people come here to, let's see, they believe that the theocratic perversions of heaven, they observe there are illusions and that perceiving such illusions proves that they are not yet advanced enough to liberate themselves from the cycle of rebirth. So they go back and live another earthly life, always hoping for the next, that the next time that they die, they will be worthy to enter the true heaven. Because when you die and you go into what you call heaven, that's not heaven. That's a fake heaven that they use to hold you until you're forcibly reincarnated. You know, like we were told, we were, I don't know if you were told, when I was younger, I was told that it's a privilege to be here on Earth.
3: Uh huh.
4: That you have to be, you have to earn your right to come here, but actually the reality is you're forced to come here. This is a prison planet. We're all sent here to just be slaves to the AI that runs everything and the theocrats. Like If you're a Buddhist, or not so much a Buddhist, but if you're like, uh, say you're a Seventh-day Adventist, there's a theocrat that created that Christian religion. And if you believe that theology your entire life, when you die, that theocrat consumes you as food. You become part of it.
1: So you're saying that these people that have cults or whatever get everybody paying attention to them, and they die, and they become a theocrat.
4: Basically, yeah.
1: And a theocrat is what? Somebody that steals the energy, harvests the energy of these people, or something like that?
4: Yeah, exactly. They consume it as energy or sustenance.
1: What does that and do then then keep they them pull, alive or something? And they, pull,
4: and then they well, It's just like uh, uh, there's been Stories I've heard were like the devil will eat you and that like if you go to hell, the devil eats you and then poops you out and then can you know, your torture continues in a cycle. The same thing over and over and over again. Kinda like on the movie Beetlejuice, where they showed Hitler dressed up as a French uh uh French maid. And every day at two o'clock he gets a pineapple shoved up his ass. <laughs> remember
1: that
4: remember that part in Beetlejuice? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in so long, but that's hilarious.
4: Yeah, goes, they go to hell for a minute, and every every day, or they're in heaven or something like that, and then Hitler shows up, or a guy dressed up as Hitler, wearing a fresh maid outfit, are, are ready for your 2 o'clock pineapple appointment? And they'll take him in the room, and they don't actually show up, but they insinuate that they're shoving the pineapple up his ass every day at 2 o'clock in the afternoon.
1: So basically, these people they 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 start cults and then they die and then what happens when the people that are in the cult die? Do they go and be in a cult in heaven? Is that what's going on?
4: No, well, they go into a fakie heaven. They're just like when you that tunnel with the light at the end of it. That's a holding center. That's a holding cell. That's the theocrat. That's the so-called uh, your god, basically. Like the Jews have Jehovah as their God, and every every time a Jew dies, God that that demi or theocrat Jehovah consumes them as food.
3: Oh,
1: that must be why they killed the Jews then. Oh, uh,
4: so the, that was well, yeah. There's a new guy running for Congress. He's a Holocaust denier. I don't call. I'm, I'm kind of a Holocaust denier too. You know what? You want to know why? The word Holocaust means God-made disaster. Like that tsunami that hit Japan. That was a Holocaust. If that super volcano in uh, Yellowstone goes off, that's a Holocaust. Anything created by man is not a Holocaust. Holocaust means something God threw at us. Maybe let me explain to you what the theocrats are. The spiritual beings worshipped as gods by many religious groups are impostors. They are nothing more than the disembodied spirits of human beings who refuse to reincarnate. They remain on the astral plane where they exercise power over other spirits and over living people. We call them theocrats, a name also used to describe the ancient Egyptian pharaohs and other earthly rulers who justified their demand for absolute political power by posing as divine beings. The concept that gods are imposters is the first postulate of a theory that provides explicit answers for almost any question about the nature of spiritual reality. Part of this theory is scientific. It explains what the soul is made of and how it functions. It also explains how the body, mind, and soul are interrelated and how psychic powers operate. The rest of the theory is political. It describes the political organization of spirits on the astral plane and the relationships that different functions or different factions of disembodied spirits have with living people. The theocrats are violating natural laws when they refuse to reincarnate. The souls of all living beings are constructed to incarnate and draw energy from the physical body. This is the only natural and efficient way in which the soul can get the vital energy it needs to function and regenerate itself. Although the mechanics of this process are quite complicated, we will explain them in some detail to allow you to understand the rest of the theory. The soul is actually an astral body made up of a special form of matter. This matter is composed of subatomic particles like ordinary matter, but with different properties. Let us call this special form of matter astral matter and the ordinary form of physical matter. The subatomic particles that compose astral matter have different properties from the particles that compose physical matter. Physicists on Earth have named and described some of these properties, such as mass, spin and electrical charge. You also have terms like charm in your vocabulary. For properties, the scientific community apparently understands much less clearly. The principal difference between astral matter and physical matter is that all astral subatomic particles possess much less mass than equivalent particles of physical matter. The charges of the mass ratios of the particles of astral atoms are about the same as those of physical atoms. In other words... Particles that compose the nucleus of an atom of astral matter have a positive or neutral electrical charge, and their mass is greater than that of the negatively charged particles that revolve around the nucleus. However, the astral subatomic particles equivalent to physical protons and neutrons are much less massive than physical electrons. Since physicists often describe physical electrons as having negligible, negligible mass, compared with physical protons and neutrons, this means that the total mass of astral atoms is extremely small astro atomic particles have a different characteristic that determines gravitational attraction. I'm not going to bore you with all that shit, but let's see.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is is really fascinating, but I'm sure a lot of it is kind of going over people's heads. But I I think a way to kind of dumb it down and simplify it would be to just say that the astral plane is another dimension, but in, in some way that it's smaller than our dimension or something like that.
4: Alright, well just think of Earth as at level number four. Then level three, two, and one are different varying levels of hell. And levels five, six, and seven are various levels above here that we would consider heaven from here, but they're not actual heaven. They're just holding centers.
1: It Kind of like how some people think there's like a fourth density and a fifth density and a sixth density and a seventh density. density.
4: Yeah, exactly. They're just different levels of the astral plane, just like Doris is a level of the astral plane. It's in the middle.
1: Or some people like to say there's different vibrations.
4: Yeah, that's basically all they are, different vibrations.
1: And isn't that also the same as the Kabbalah in some ways, the Sephirothic tree?
4: Yeah, of it's a crock of shit just to keep us confused. Basically. But like you were saying, the, the stuff that I was just reading to you, I I understand it because I'm at a higher functioning level mentally because of what I've learned. And the reason I learned all the stuff I learned is because it didn't, I was able to accept it for the most part. You know, like in that one movie with, uh, where he's all the truths, you can't handle the truth, and that's true about forever. Most everybody, if they really knew what the truth was about this, they'd have no reason to continue living, right? As long as they're blind and to what's really going on, how things really function, they can just be oblivious and keep living their lives as if nothing was different than what they already know
3: here, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I can see how one thing that really fits into that theory, Al, is that when people do have near-death experiences they often see whatever their belief system told them that they would see that's what they see and in this theory if you want to call it that of theocracy uh, it definitely works works with that it fits right in because it explains why when somebody that's a certain religion dies, why they see those deities and they see things related to that religion because they simply believe that's where they're going, so that's what they form around them in the astral plane after they die.
4: Right. If the afterlife that was if the afterlife that we're expecting was real, we'd all have the same exact experience, right? It wouldn't have be having experience based on our belief systems.
1: Yeah, yeah. When you connect yeah, the dots yeah. it yeah. just yeah. makes too much sense and Uh, I noticed they're trying to shut Uh, us down again. Hello? Hello?
4: Oh, I thought they were trying to cut me off here.
1: Yeah, I think they are doing that.
4: Yeah, because I'm telling you stuff that they don't want people to know about, because if they didn't want you to know about it, it must be real, right?
1: Yeah, they, they have synchronistic ways of interfering with the show. They're... Using some kind of magics to create weird little synchronistic random disasters.
4: Yeah, I've been I've had a lot of synchronicity in my life. I just think of something else and there it is.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I've had a lot of that in my life. Stuff I'm working on now. I got a question for you all out there. Every picture I've ever seen of a freaking alien, you know, an actual photograph of an alien, they're always white skinned. You ever notice that? Yeah. I've never seen a black-skinned black alien. I've never seen a brown-skinned alien. I've never seen a green-skinned... Well, actually, I haven't seen a green one, but... You know what I'm saying?
3: You just yeah. don't see yeah.
4: other colors. I'm not saying that all these other colors we have here are wrong, because there used to be orange people here, and there used to be green people here, and there used to be blue people, and there used to be purple people. And all the the yellow men, the white men, the black men murdered them all off over the years. Like the Neanderthal, they had blue skin. That's one thing you're not going to see in the history books. That's who the Neanderthals were. They were the blue skin people. There's still a little bit of the green skin people left in the Mongolian race. Because Mongolians, when they hit their puberty, start hitting puberty, their skin turns green on their belly and their back. But most people don't know that because most people don't know Mongolians and people that run the world don't want you knowing about that stuff, right?
1: Well, you know what else is interesting in the in the uh, Scandinavia? People believed in elves, and and they believed that the elves mixed race races with the humans. So who knows? Those elves might have been aliens.
4: Here's something we were talking about religion. It says, uh, do any of the saints in the Judeo-Christian religion become enlightened ones after death? This is extremely rare. Most of them become theocrats if they are devout members of theocratic churches during life. However, some people who claim to work miracles through faith and religious doctrine have become magician spirits after death. They are really occultists whose faith was merely a sham to allow them to work within their religious establishment. So all these so called saints, they were scammers. They found some way to trick people into thinking they were performing miracles. I saw some stupid thing a few years ago that said the reason Jesus was able to walk on the water is because a bunch of froze a bunch of ice cold water came rushing down a river out onto the lake at the time and froze the surface and that he was walking actually walking on ice.
1: Yeah, yeah, or so many different things. Maybe he was just able to levitate using his chi, something like that.
4: Uh, Here's a good one. Let's see. But Jesus denied he was the reincarnation of any Hebrew prophet. He did, but it was just a simple no to the specific, specific questions. The questions themselves presented him with a perfect opportunity to make a definite, state, definitive statement denying the existence of reincarnation, and he didn't take it. This suggests that the author of the passage was an enemy of theocracy and new elements of the great secret. So Jesus was uh, fake, too. So, or he, Jesus knew a lot of stuff, and he was trying to tell people what was going on, and that's why they murdered him. He was trying to tell them about the theocrats and all this stuff, and they had him murdered
1: for it. He was was talking about uh, the the ideas of the old religions were wrong and the pathway to heaven and the kingdom of heaven was within. That might have been what he was referring to.
4: Yeah, you know, uh, to get back to the point we were discussing, the theocrats persuade many of the saints in Western fourth-stage theocratic religion to reincarnate. Often they become charismatic preachers who win large large numbers of new converts or religious leaders who increase the power of churches over the whole of society. In the process, they may become so corrupted by earthly power that they eventually become theocrats. Like the Pope, he's a theocrat. The Pope is a
1: One of the religious
4: leaders who increase the power of their church, right? Over the whole of society?
1: Yeah, the Pope is a dope.
4: I'd like to see the Pope on a Rope. In <laughs> fact, back, back, Ozzy Osbourne now sat in one of his songs, would you like to see the Pope on a Rope? Do you think he's a fool? My answer, my answer to that question is yes.
1: Oh, yeah. What song is
4: that? Uh, it's on the first album. I know that.
1: Yeah, I, that I line, I remember it. It goes something like, would you like to see the Pope on a rope? Da, 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 something like that.
0: Do you think he's a fool? you think, if, think he's uh, a into fool. the void?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. Rocket
4: ship turning to the ass so fast.
1: Oh my, oh my god! I'm pretty sure it's
4: into the void.
1: I think that Ozzy was channeling something.
4: All right. You no, know, like like Todd claims to be a magician. The term magician is used very loosely to refer to people who made effective conscious use of their psychic powers while alive and did not voluntarily join a theocratic band after death. It is a very diverse group, of and the spirits that compose it belongs to many different cultures and social classes during life. Many magician spirits belong to the spiritualists, theosophists, Rosicrucians, and other well-known Western occult groups during life. Others belong to occult groups that have they're usually labeled as pagan religions such as witchcraft, voodoo, Santeria, etc. So others had been commercial fortune tellers or psychic healers. Many of the magicians in this latest category considered themselves Christians and performed their psychic activities in the name of Christ. However, the theocratic churches were afraid of their conscious psychic activities and banned them from membership. So they kept their freedom after death. See, I'm not a, I don't do religion. I don't, I think Christianity is a crock of shit. I think Judaism is a crock of shit. I think Islam is a crock of shit. I think they're all just bullshit. Just forms of used to, things used to control us. But because I don't do religion, when I'm dead, I'm gonna be free. I'm not gonna have to reincarnate here ever again. I can go to any other planet in the universe I want to.
1: Do you have and a all plan we, of where you're going
4: to go? I haven't really decided yet. I know as far away from this mud ball as I can, that's for sure.
1: Hey, Al, I know something... I, I know. I happen to know something myself because you were saying how on this earth there were blue people, that Crow Magnums were blue, and there was orange people, and and all kinds of different types of people. I, I also happen to know that there was a race of people that were dog faced, and they were like upright walking dogs.
4: You're talking about like the, uh, no, like the, uh, can't remember the name of the Egyptian god, but yeah, I know what you're talking about.
3: Yeah,
1: they actually used to used to have them. uh, They humans would fight with them, and the people that lived at the time they actually believed that there were these dog faced humans that lived in in the wooded mountainous areas. And they actually one king scared another country by lying and saying that he had a division of those dog faced troops that were on his side at the time, and the other. Kingdom back down the other country back down because everybody was so afraid of this race of dog headed dog people that were supposedly very ferocious and very good at fighting, like they would actually use shields and swords and stuff like that. It's really trippy stuff,
4: yeah, it's so like in the Egyptian tombs and stuff, there's pictures of them
1: uh, yeah, yeah, single pictures of set.
4: well, single pictures of set by himself, and then you see other pictures where there's a whole bunch of them. not just the one right.
1: Yeah, those, uh, who knows what that even, is, is that symbolic or were those actual beings that looked that way?
4: They were probably guards of some kind. Some sort of, like, this is a prison planet. Every now and then they got to send people down here to put us in our place.
1: Yeah, they, they could have been uh, a theocrats because uh, Thoth would probably be one.
4: Yeah, there could have been a theocratic band. Just a particular theocrat's uh, personal army. Trying to keep people under control.
1: And people that channel, like there's that Ramtha woman that claims to be channeling that Egyptian warrior. Well, she could be uh, channeling a, a theocrat.
4: Exactly. Just trying to trick her and keep her blinded to what's really happening out
1: there. And look what's going on. That's a cult. And she's going to become a theocrat, or she already is one. And she's uh, uh, getting vampired off of her by some other theocrat.
4: Right. It's just like, um, I live here in Salt Lake, and the Mormons, at least when I was growing up, I was told that the Mormons is supposed to have as many children as they can because when they die, they become a god and all their children become their subjects. <sighs> Which falls right into the theocratic uh, mindset.
1: Yeah, that very well might be true for them and true universally because that that is kind of what happens. That's kind of like how they joke on South Park and they say, guess who was really right? It was the Mormons. Yeah, you well,
4: know, it's like the theocrats, well, like they're you, they use that mindset of, hey, yeah, if you become one of us and believe our religion, then when you die, you become a god. And you rule your own personal heaven.
1: All right, Al. This has been one heck of a great discussion, and I, I thank you for calling in. But I just realized that we're we're going on like over forty minutes now, so I better let you go, buddy.
4: Well, that's all right. I got I got myself a good plan. I got unlimited data, so I can do a lot of research now too on my phone.
1: You you want to give give the audience out there any last words?
4: Uh, just be good to each other. How's that?
1: Sounds good to me. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you next yeah. time. Or
4: village, then you say, be excellent to each other.
1: <laughs> be excellent. Be most excellent to each other. Exactly. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you later.
4: <laughs> All right. Ciao, bro. All
1: right. That was our buddy Al, who always has so many interesting things to say. I didn't want to... Uh, I go too long with him because uh, while that was an incredible download of fascinating information and and I believe it contained quite a bit of truth I know that it's it's it is a lot to take in so we don't want to we don't want to go too much down the rabbit hole because who knows some people who are listening their hair might turn white or or they might have some sort of adverse effect so uh thank you for Al for for calling in and teaching us about the Invisible College and the Theocrats and the Astral Plane. Very fascinating and a great addition to this episode of End of Days Raid. Remember, if you like this show, broadcast on all those services out there. Oh, we got another call already. Wow. Hello.
2: What's going on, Daniel?
1: Hey there, buddy. How are you? Doing great. How are you?
2: Oh, killer. I just listened to that wild conversation with Al.
1: What did you think? Holy cow.
2: That's Al. Got a lot of wild wild stuff.
1: Yeah, really trippy stuff. I hope that the audience out there gained something from that, because I, I have to say that was very enlightening, to say the least.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh hal uh, how got some ideas pretty far out there. Uh, I'd, I'd love to listen to him talk. To him. Tell me more.
1: <laughs> yeah, you've been you've been doing it for years. You've been getting getting it right from the horse's mouth and now the audience of end of day's radio now they're hearing it, which is really good stuff for sure.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, he he'll tell your stuff sometimes you're like, whoa How do you know that? And uh and then he'll tell you stuff other times you're like, Come on. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, for sure, for sure.
1: He his knowledge base is certainly very deep. Sometimes he'll bring up stuff that I, I've I've uh, looked into like five years ago and totally forgot about, and other times just like you say, it's like, Whoa, whoa, what are you even saying? That's that's crazy sounding, but uh definitely a very, very deep vault of knowledge and wisdom there.
2: Oh yeah for sure. Spent a lot of years, he spent a lot of years studying different stuff, and he's a very smart person. Um, I sure enjoyed your interview with Adam Kokesh. Boy, that guy's cool.
1: Oh, yeah, super cool guy. Uh, you know we're we're kind of buddies now, and this is the second time he's come on the show, and I really appreciate being able to work with an individual like that that's got so much chutzpah and isn't afraid to you know stand up to dudes that are twice his size or stand up to the government. It's really exciting getting behind him for the presidential election, and even if he doesn't win, it's kind of like a Ron Paul thing, or hopefully it can become that where a lot of issues are being raised and and, and the future is being changed in a positive way because people are becoming. Were educated.
2: Yeah, yeah, I love his uh, his approach to nonviolence. Uh, come on, let's get the dialogue going here. Let's
3: talk. Let's
2: not fight. Let's talk. Let's see what's going on here.
1: You know exactly. They've they've done, dumbed us down so much. We're throwing bricks at each other.
2: Yeah, exactly, and uh, and so. That's part of the libertarian philosophy and principle I've, I've always sided with it and, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the root of most of my problems here is, uh, is the force, is the force issue. Government's the only body allowed by law to use force. And so, you know, in, if you follow that logic, taxes, taxes become unethical because they're not asking you they're just killing you. They're taking it. You know?
1: And who knows where the hell it's even going.
2: Well, the stories of where we hear it's going are hair-raising enough. It's the $800 million that just disappeared in the Pentagon last year. Notice how they, they can uh, lose $800 million, Daniel, and uh, no biggie. You know, taxpayers will cover it. But if you went out and lost $800 million, Daniel, there would be hell to pay.
3: Yeah,
1: exactly. And you have to wonder if a lot of this, these tax dollars are being funneled into black budget. And, uh, you know, as you know, there's been a few times when you've called in, we've talked about how we're both in very heavy military areas. With me being up here in the Pacific Northwest, next to all these ocean inlets, and and you being down there, and it's it's funny that uh, you have to wonder how much of our paycheck goes to funding the triangle crafts, or the invisibility technology, or the sonic weapons, or the mind controlled drugs, or the mind controlled propaganda stuff they put out there. It, it's really kind of creepy when you think about it.
2: Oh, it's so creepy, and. um I think something's getting above it. That's the worst part. The United States taxpayers are paying for some global group that's not accountable to us whatsoever. How how fair is that?
1: It's not fair at all. It's uh, terrible.
2: Like the global chemtrailing effort, you know, that's worldwide.
1: Yeah, and there's this whole big program going on where they're crop-dusting the skies and uh, nobody even has any awareness of what is going on and they're doing it right under our noses or right on top of us, so to speak.
2: Yeah, they turned our sky today just that white, milky haze. Started out blue skies, we're about 50 55 degrees, it's an unreal winter here. And, and then the skies got those perfectly placed chemtrails that have completely milked out the sky now. Yeah. Very ugly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And uh, the truth is that we don't even know if the damn Earth is round or flat.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then there, you know, you hear these stories. Look, they just launched a car into outer space. How cool is that? Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah. In fact, Todd, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because. I did want to talk about that on this episode. As many of you know, the billionaire who created the Tesla company that creates these really amazing electric cars, really fast and really energy-efficient vehicles, he sent a rocket into space with one of his cars attached to it, and they filmed the whole thing, and they filmed it in space, and people were going all over all over YouTube and all over social media saying, ha, 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 you idiot flat earthers, this is the proof. This is the ultimate proof. Yeah. There's just so many people doing that. It, it, are you Were you aware of any of that, Todd? Which oh, the part that they're
2: using that against the flat earthers? What was that? Oh, you, you, the, part, you, the part where they're using that against the flat earthers?
1: Oh, just the whole thing.
2: I hadn't heard about the, the them saying, hey, look, Flat Earth, there's the world's round. No, I, I didn't catch that, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, but if you look at these movies, look at the alien movies, look at the the, the one movie with um, the beautiful actress that went to space, Halle Berry, uh, that looks so real. That's in a studio. <laughs>
1: yeah, and also there's a, a a guy named Eric Dubé who is – probably one of the most current famous flat earth researchers. And he released a a video on his YouTube channel that showed a a small portion of that, of that supposed live stream where they actually showed the car and it's sitting in a studio and it's surrounded by a studio stuff. So uh, they messed up for a second and they, and they didn't edit it perfectly. And, and some of the background got in there. So that might, that may have already been exposed.
2: Yeah. Whatever's going on it's man it, it, it the um the propaganda the the bull crap is so deep that you can't hardly see through it. Um you you notice when the, they they released the files a couple weeks ago where the Pentagon supposedly has been investigating UFOs?
1: Oh, I didn't even catch wind of that.
2: They they released top secret files from 2009 where the Pentagon had a $22 million budget to investigate UFOs and they released um, film footage from pilots that were chasing UFOs that couldn't catch them. And then they come out and basically made a public statement saying UFOs are there and we don't know what they are and we can't keep up with the technology and we don't know who's flying them. (laughs) But if that's the case, Daniel, then why did they close Project Blue Book in 1967 after 20 years, claiming that there were no UFOs? Yeah, and now, that, that's, uh, this now is definitely... we're supposed to believe that they, they are there, and they've been looking into them, and they don't know who they are. It sounds like more psyops.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, I was about to say the same thing. It sounds like loads and loads of disinfo and misinfo and misdirection and confusion and and psychological operations and and who knows what the goal is there. Um, I I think that one thing that comes to mind is the idea of disclosure and are we being pre-programmed to accept uh, an alien race that's just right around the corner that's about to announce its presence to us and make itself um, publicly known and visible here in the physical spectrum, so to speak.
2: Well, one other thing that comes to my mind, I I hear you on that, Daniel. One other thing that comes to my mind is they had the guitarist for Blink-182 running around. He wrote a book called Secret Machines, that he claimed um, some CIA source helped him with the inside knowledge, you know, but it's a fictional work. And he was behind the disclosure, you know, trying to help get the disclosure going, the Blink-182 guy. Go over to Moby now. Do you remember Moby? Yeah, it was in the news about a month ago. He came out and said that the CIA came to him and told him that Rush was uh, Trump was in collusion with the Russians, and that he needed to help them get the word out. So they're using pop stars to try to um, influence people's minds about the election, about Donald Trump, about UFOs. Same old, same old.
1: Yeah, you really have to question when somebody like Alex Jones is getting behind a
2: Republican. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> oh. Yeah, you listen to that show, you'd think it was a commercial for the Republican Party almost. Unless it's just all about selling more penis pills. Well, and then there's that too. You got the penis pills and the the generators, yeah, and <laughs> the, the <water> MREs.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: the water filters. I'm going to get one of those, by the way. Oh, that would be nice to have one of those. <laughs> but I don't, I don't want to keep you on air all day. I appreciate your show. It's been such an incredible, uh, nice, uh, classic end of days.
1: Yeah, we're we're going a little bit more hardcore. Uh, The audience out there has been very vocal recently about wanting to return to a format of more like a three- or a four-hour show, so um, you know, it's been a big wake-up call. I thought the way to go was to make it really short and tight and and make it short and sweet, but apparently all the fans out there, they they like the format of a long marathon show, so I'm bringing it back. This is what we're going to stick to. Right on. Yeah, I love
2: that. I love the show, my man, so. I won't let you go. Just keep up the good work, my brother. We'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Talk to you later. Todd the Bob. All right. Take it easy, man. Peace. Peace. And there you have it. That was Todd. Very cool talking to him. And Al. Talking to both of those guys. Very good conversations with both of them. And I mean what I say. I mean what I say about returning to a format of just long, long, and long. And the truth is, you don't have to listen to the whole show. You can listen to the first interview. You can listen to, or you don't have to listen to the interview. You can listen to any parts that you want, any time that you want. I'm just putting it out there for the people that are super hardcore fans of the show and complain when they don't get their four hours. <laughs> that, that's really who it's for, but you don't have to listen to it all. You can listen to as much as you want. I mean, of course, my goal is to keep you here and keep you listening, right? Of course, but I'm not going to fault you if you like to listen to the show in bits and pieces. You can. If I'm putting out one show a week, I, I, I want to have enough content out there to last you at least a little while. I don't want it to be like, oh, you get... 30 minutes of end of days and then that's it until a whole a whole week from now. I mean, if I'm going to put out a show once a week and I'm not able to do shows that are bi-weekly or three times a week, well, I'll just put out a freaking marathon show and the people that love their end of days have plenty of content there to spread out throughout the week and everybody's happy. You're happy, I'm happy. the the theocrats are happy out there in their false heaven the democrats are happy the republicans are happy the libertarians are happy the dog faced race of humans are happy with their swords and their shields and their kibbles and bits and and, yeah that (laughs) I just can't help but circle back to that Elon Musk live stream that convinced everybody that indeed the the earth is round it's just another psyop we don't know what's up there perhaps we do i don't know it confuses the heck out of me <laughs> the, at some point i watched a youtube video that said that space is fake and it really messed with my head so i'm either a victim of some sort of psychological operation or i was one for a very long time along with the rest of the world and I'll keep studying it. I'm going to buy a telescope. And I'm going to actually look into the night sky myself. And I've also found out about a observatory here in Seattle. It's at a university, and they open it up to the public. I think once a week. Just ha- haven't mustered up the hood spa to actually go down there yet. But I am going to. I highly intend to. Um, I think it would be a great little field trip for End of Days Radio. A little field trip for Daniel. Do something. Uh, that is actually uh, really intelligent rather than uh, not ever going anywhere and just hiding out in this garage and broadcasting. There's nothing wrong with going out and going out on a little field trip to a telescope. Who knows? It might even change your opinion of the flat Earth. (laughs) Oh, Lordy. So... What should I start with? Oh, man. I I have a lot to get into still. And that's part of the problem is there's never enough time to get into all of this. We're talking about a week's worth of happenings as the world turns. Uh, Apparently, once again, our president, the name comes up so much on this show and out there in general, Donald Trump. He's announced that he wants to have a huge military parade and he wants to roll out all these tanks and have these people marching through Washington, D.C., almost kind of like one of those propaganda videos in in North Korea or China or somewhere like that. And he wants to really put it all out there, and it's for the troops. Um, I'm sure a lot of you want to hear my thoughts on this whole thing, if you even care. Who knows? You might not even be aware, and perhaps I'm making you aware. But what are my thoughts on this? I think it's cool. I mean, that little boy inside of me wants to see the tanks and the airplanes and the soldiers marching and the guns and all that. I mean, who doesn't think that stuff like that is super cool? And then that part of me that loves America, that bit of me that loves my country, I, I think it feels it like it's good to acknowledge the military. But at the same time, I think there is something to be said for kind of keeping your – weapons and all that keeping it kind of under wraps rather than saying hey look what we have because i think that we already know what we have i think that the world knows that we have a lot of nuclear weapons and a lot of high-tech this and that and we have all the troops and the airplanes and now we have the drones and what is really scary is the idea of of entire drone battalions fighting each other and The idea that casualties could get mixed up in something like that at some point in time. And all of these weapons are extremely terrifying. I don't think that it's really that great of an idea to just feel like you need to tell the world, hey, look what we have. I don't think that's a really good idea. And it sounds like a waste of money. I don't think you need to expand the military once you have nuclear weapons because... Really, the idea is to have more nuclear weapons and better technologies. In fact, I think a big country with a small military is scarier because you have to wonder what kind of weapons they have since they don't need to have a huge amount of troops out there. And if these nuclear weapons are real, like we've always been taught, that then it doesn't matter how many tanks you have or how many troops that you have. They would all get melted by nuclear weapons, which can obviously affect large areas. <laughs> so I don't see any point in doing that I, I think it's good for the morale of the armed forces and if that's why it's being done I suppose I'm all for it but um it, it does feel a little it does feel a little like fascist I guess you could say <laughs> and you know what's so funny is that you know that salute where people they touch their chest and they stick their hand out that Nazi salute and it's so it's so taboo to do something like that and it's considered to be if you do that you're racist or you know this and that but uh that's not something that comes from the nazis or germany they they actually borrowed that from rome they used to do that in rome and it had nothing to do with racism or anything like that that was just the thing that they did and the roman i'm sorry the germans they borrowed that because they borrowed that whole culture that they had at the time like they borrowed it from from scandinavia and they took little bits and pieces of things that they liked from the past and they and they used it to to cast a spell they they understood how to tap into the collective unconscious and the subconscious and use symbiology to to create sigils and to inspire and to give their army power and to to build up their people into a a fervor and and create a blitzkrieg against all of Europe. So uh, that's what all that is. I mean, I I think Trump is highly entertaining. I do. Some of the stuff that he says, like, I just laugh. And I'm like, oh, my God, is he doing that? Oh, wow. And, And calling... Kim Jong-un rocket man and making fun of him you can't help but laugh at the gall and the you know the idea that the little guy with the rockets he's being mocked and not taken it seriously I, I do find all that super entertaining uh, but I have no idea what's going on out there it, the things happening in Israel are very troubling there seems to be some sort of motive or agenda there. It's nothing against Israel or Jewish people or anything like that. Of course not. It's just like you're raising an eyebrow. Hey, what's going on over there? Pieces on the chessboard are being moved around. And it does say in the end of days, nations will gather around Israel. So it makes you wonder, is, is, that, is that what is happening? Are nations gathering? Are we? Has the kickoff to the end times begun? Is it the end is it indeed the end of days? We could debate that forever, I'm sure, and I'm sure many would claim that there are no days to end that the world is just an illusion, and it's gonna keep going on until we escape this infinite cycle of karma or negativity or whatever is happening and I do want to talk about this other thing in the news that I find very disturbing. Uh, Excuse me one moment. I'm going to grab my glass of water. My mouth is getting a little dry, and I realize I put it out of reach. Oh, thank you for waiting. But this fella, Quincy Jones, big music producer, he's gone, he's gone on the media, he's gone into the media, and he's, he talked to some interviewer, and he made a bunch of statements that have everybody up in arms and talking. He said stuff about JFK, like he knows, he knows more about what happened there, but he can't say because it's too risky to talk about that. And he also kind of attacked the Beatles. He kind of attacked them a little bit. He said that they were shit musicians and that they could barely play. And he really went after Ringo Starr saying how Ringo Starr wasn't a good musician. He could barely play. But I I take great offense to that because obviously the Beatles were incredibly talented. They were playing instruments and singing and composing their music. So regardless of if they were super good at this one thing or anything like that, they were uh, pioneers and they were doing multiple things at once and they were showing a great deal of talent and skill and creativity and dedication. And to say something like that just really sounds very strange, almost like you're just trying to get attention. And I've heard from bass players, bass players, sorry, (laughs) That uh, that Paul is actually one of the best ones of all time. So that doesn't make sense. I know that Quincy Jones said that the Beatles couldn't play their instruments. That's basically what he said. But um, I, I believe that that doesn't make sense in regards to what I've read and inside of guitar magazines and online and stuff like that. I, I don't. I'm not sure if he even really knows what he's talking about. I'm sure he was looking at the big picture as a music producer, and he probably doesn't even know anything about those instruments himself. So uh, I would take what he says with a grain of salt regarding that. He also really attacked Michael Jackson. Uh, Take offense to that. He said that Michael Jackson was a thief and he was Machiavellian. And uh, I have no uh, no doubt that Michael Jackson was a very smart guy, but he seems to really be downplaying his talent. Perhaps it's a like something where he feels like he's not given enough credit, so he wants to look like he knows everything and he's this great authority, and you know his knowledge supersedes anything that they did. Maybe that's what it's all about. I don't know, but I take offense to that, Michael Jackson. Uh, I don't think that's very nice the things that he's saying, and what was the other thing <laughs> Richard Pryor and Marlon Brando were gay lovers? <laughs> I didn't even have that one in my notes, but I remembered that one all of a sudden. Um, once again, just evidence that he's just trying to draw attention and throw people's names out there and drag people's names through, through the mud. I mean, ultimately, who cares who was doing what with whoever? That, that's really irrelevant unless you're, you know, just a. a low class person and your mind is always going to things of that nature, why would you even care? And why would he put that out there? So I have no idea what this man's problem is. He seems like an asshole, right? He just seems like he's bitter and he wants more credit. And ultimately, who cares what he thinks? I'm I'm sure he's very experienced and he knows what he's doing, but It's just his perspective and it sounds like he has a very big ego. And whatever you want to give a a band like the Beatles credit for, you can't not acknowledge the role that they played and the way they shaped the culture and the influence that they had. Uh, I, I mean, they were the biggest and greatest of all time. I don't think that any artist or any band has really come close to what they did and the way that they their music shaped society. Maybe people like Elvis Presley or Michael Jackson or who else would you even put in there? I suppose that music has always had an effect on culture, but I'm not sure I'm not sure if anybody else has really affected things as much as that original movement in the 60s where uh you know the Beatles were just right there and that was a great time in music but who cares who cares what this asshole has to say <laughs> we're giving him too much credit is is that what it's all about nowadays is trolling your way into the headlines it seems to it seems to be very easy to incite people's anger and get them talking Hey everybody! Guess what? And it, you know what's funny? It's always about dragging people down. Guess what Mel Gibson did? Guess what he said? Guess what this or that person said? And and who are they tearing 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 down now? But Quentin Tarantino. They're really going after him right now, aren't they? They're really going after him. Like it, it, all these people are coming out of the woodwork. Uma Thurman is mad at him. Says he pressured her into doing a stunt that now is causing her neck and back pain. Something about a car, her driving a car, going too fast. He's very pushy about it. And then there's another woman who is claiming that he ran her down and tackled her and was biting her. (laughs) Just bad stuff. And And I also understand that Tarantino was very adamant about defending Weinstein so he's pissed off a lot of people because of that and now it seems like he's the latest latest in a long line of people that they're tearing down I gotta say I love the guy's movies I've always been a big fan of his movies I I collected them all on DVD and Blu-ray I think that those movies are just so entertaining they're some of the best films that have ever been made and it really is sad and it really hurts to hear about news like this it really it really hurts my heart
3: <laughs>
1: it's just sad it's just sad as somebody that was really a fan of his movies, it's sad to see him and Uma Thurman not getting along and fighting and having those issues and it's It's sad to see that his name is really being dragged through the mud and perhaps he deserves it who knows I'm sure that he's a guy that's obsessed with making films and he's gone to some dirty lengths to get things done and that's sad I don't know about tackling women and biting them though unless it was something to do with making a movie (laughs) I don't know (laughs) was that during a what was that vampire movie from Dusk Till Dawn? Is that, what, is that what she's talking about? Was he a vampire? I'd have to look that up. But, it's sad. It's just sad. The Me Too movement. More and more of these women are saying that these guys are, are, you know, getting up in their boundaries and using all sorts of quid pro quo type of motivations to get them to do things and it's sad because you real, you realize how it actually is out there and it makes you think of that show Mad Men <laughs> where it shows back in the day where everything was super sexist and women were always getting sexually harassed and then you see that and you're like, oh, I guess it's still kind of like that. It's sickening and it makes me feel bad as a guy. You know, It really validates that feminist perspective and that kind of sucks that... <laughs> that men are being made to look so bad in general by people like Bill Cosby and Weinstein and there's so many. I couldn't even name them all. But really, guys, have some self-control over yourselves and quit using your positions of power and authority in the world to create these quid pro quo situations. If you're doing that, you're really just a lowlife, you're a loser that can't, connect with women.
3: So you're doing things like that. I mean, let's be honest. It's that behavior is really just pathetic.